Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, boy! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. All right, guys. So there's just something about 2023 that's hitting a little bit different because we have done banger after banger after banger, right? I've been very happy with the movies that we've chosen. And Austin and I actually have been getting our list together for movies that we're going to be covering in the the rest of the year. And it's like an incredible year. Like there's a lot of Spielberg potentially. (laughs) A lot of Spielberg, a lot of anniversaries, and a lot of listener requests are making it into the the upcoming podcast recording slate i don't know we've got a lot of great stuff to cover um but i'm really excited about this one the this movie is going to be celebrating its 40th anniversary and there's like a follow-up to the like there's a follow-up film that's releasing next week so i'm really excited to talk about it this is going to be a big movie to talk about austin what movie are we going to be watching this episode will be on 1981's the Evil Dead, directed by Sam Raimi and starring Bruce Campbell and uh, Ellen Sandwise, Richard DeManincourt, Betsy Baker, and Teresa Tilly. Well, we've covered Sam Raimi before. Sam Raimi, maybe most people know him from the Spider, the original Spider-Man trilogy, which we have covered. Mm-hmm. The, well, we covered the first one. Uh, he recently directed the Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's directed Darkman. He's directed a lot of things that a lot of a lot of movies that a lot of people love. Uh, but he got his like first like big break, I would say, with The Evil Dead, which turned into a trilogy. And then it turned into a oh, they remade it. And the remake was pretty good. And then they made video games. They made tv series it's like a whole franchise yeah it's funny because this is a franchise at this point right and it all started from a super super small independent movie that was cobbled together like on a a (laughs) shoestring budget it was super controversial but people loved the fuck out this movie and now it's i think it was even like a a a smaller movie before this right like it was a, a really tiny movie and then he got a little bit more money to do The Evil Dead. And then he did The Evil Dead 2, which is kind of a remake of The Evil Dead. But he's t- basically told a story three times. <laughs> yeah. And while he hasn't directed the last two films in the franchise, I-, I like what I've seen. So I've seen this movie before. I saw it back in college. Really loved it. I think I watched like a documentary on the making of or or something. I can't remember exactly, but I watched something whether on YouTube or on like a DVD extra uh, where I learned a little bit about it. I've never seen the second one or the third one. I did go to theaters to watch the Evil Dead 2013. Yeah, I did see that one. Mm -hmm. That was funny because I went with my friends, but I didn't have my ID. And they're like, we need (laughs) to see your IDs for you to go into this movie. And I'm like, well, I'm a college student. They're like, yeah, we need to see your IDs. 
I didn't have one with me and they wouldn't let us in. Wow. So we, so we tried going to another person who was selling ticket and the first person like whispered in their ears like we can't sell you a ticket. So we had to drive to another movie theater. And oh my god. I think that may have potentially been one of the last like actual midnight screenings I went to. Because ever since then it's like movies that are released on Thursday are like released at like 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. not really midnight mm-hmm. anymore. So I think that may have been like one of the last like actual midnight films I went to, which was suitable cuz it's Evil Dead. Like it it feels like a midnight type of movie, you know? Yeah. Definitely. But I I love that remake. I I don't care what people say. I know it has a lot of hate. I know people... It does? Yeah, people don't like it because huh. uh, they said... Uh, one of the things about Evil Dead is that there's a lot of comedy involved. Mm-hmm. Like, it's gratuitous horror and violence, but there's still an element of camp, of horror, which we've mentioned in yeah. our Spider-Man film. Like, Sam Raimi loves that. And even in Doctor Strange, you know? Even in the second Doctor Strange, there's an element of camp and comedy and horror. And people didn't like that the remake did not have comedy. Because that remake... Well, plays it very a little bit of comedy well you know, I, think, I think people don't like the fact that ash isn't in it and ash is kind yeah of the, i think that's a huge thing yeah and personally for me i've said this before i like remakes that change things up i don't want to see a remake right. that does the exact same thing like i would have hated the last of us if they played everything exactly the same way they did on the video game mm-hmm. i want to see i want to see further exploration i want to see changes i want to feel surprised and that evil dead one like holy shit yeah you kind of expect it to be like oh they're just doing another one because people recognize the evil dead but like Mm -hmm. it was actually pretty good it's really like violent and and graphic so if you don't like seeing that you probably won't like watching this movie oh yeah (laughs) or the remake especially the remake yeah Um, i definitely if if you're sensitive to blood don't even bother watching this movie or any of the but Evil I, Dead films. <laughs> yeah, but they, well, like, you can watch Army of Darkness. That's fine. That one's goofy. That was PG thirteen, right? I think so. And I think I think our our friend Michael, our old workmate Michael, he's he was in it. I think. Oh, Army of Darkness. Yeah, I think he gets shot with an arrow or something. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's actually interesting that you bring up the rating system because this movie was rated NC seventeen, right? Which is mm-hmm. uh it's kind of like a death sentence for movies that are looking for theatrical runs to go to rated R film you could be younger than 17 but you need to be accompanied by adult nc 17 means you can't go regardless if you're younger than 17 you can't go in nc 17 is reserved for films that are very explicit and so this i didn't know this was an nc 17 i thought it was r rated yeah well, maybe we'll get into a little bit of that um, mm-hmm. Because the release is very interesting because the movie officially came out in 1981, right? Mm-hmm. But it didn't go to theaters until 1983. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll find out all kinds of cool stuff about how this movie was made. It was made on a very small budget, $375,000, which sounds like a lot of money. But like for a movie, that is not a lot of money, especially for a movie that everybody kind of knows about, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's wild. Um, and then at the box office, it made... Wikipedia is so funny. It says $2.7 million or $29.4 million. <laughs> What the hell? We, I think <laughs> it's because of that two-year gap. We'll find out more. But uh, well, mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing I'm very curious. How do you... How much did this movie actually make? And why is there a discrepancy in how much it made? And what was that two-year gap 
Like what was happening to the film during that two year gap between 81 and 83. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really curious. I'm, I think that's gonna be really in interesting to look at. Yeah. And very interesting movie. I'm glad that you uh, recommended to, to cover this movie next after Casablanca. It's, <laughs> it's a very different kind of movie. We're versatile watchers. They're still really good movies. They're really good movies. Where were you? What brought you to the Evil Dead when you first saw it? You said college? It was during college. And I just said, you know, uh, I think I was going through a Like, I was just uh, just trying to watch as many movies as possible. I know you had a phase like that with horror. I was trying to open up a bit more. And right. uh, I found out, I think there was someone in my dorm room talking about Evil Dead. And I was like, I'd never seen it. And he's like, oh, well, Sam Raimi did it. You know? And I was like, oh, Sam Raimi. Like, Spider-Man. Uh, duh. <laughs> I love this guy. And I think back at Irvine, they had like a little like fun center, like a recreation center. And they would like loan out DVDs. And I was looking through the list one day and I saw Evil Dead. I was like, oh, cool. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Put it in my laptop, watch it. I was like, holy shit, this is super janky. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I really liked it. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I thought it was cool. But after that, I don't, I, ne I don't think I followed up because I never watched two or three. Yeah, I never watched two or three either. Well, I've seen I've seen parts of three and I found out like two was kind of a remake of one. And I, I think two is the one that like every was like the more popular one, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, but I really loved one. I really loved one. And I really love the remake. I saw the evil dead when I was in high school because that was my like, Oh, I want to watch all the things I wasn't allowed to watch before. Mm -hmm. And I keep hearing about the evil dead and it's like super violent. I want to test myself. You know, that's, that's how I was as a high schooler. Very different person. <laughs> um, so I, I, I watched it and I was like really taken aback by how the camera moves. That kind of like stuck with me. Like the way Sam Raimi directs like the, the action, the, the way the camera moves, that stuff is what I love. I, I, I don't even think I knew that he was the same person who did the Spider-Man trilogy at the time of watching The Evil Dead. I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And then I, I think I watched Darkman, but I don't remember Darkman very well. I wanted to see Drag Me to Hell, but I, I didn't end up seeing it. I will eventually. Mm -hmm. And then when he did Doctor Strange 2, I was so excited for that movie. And I was so surprised. I wasn't really surprised. I knew that he wouldn't go back to the Marvel movie doing a superhero movie if he didn't get to do what he wanted to do. And I was I thoroughly enjoyed all the Sam Raimi stuff in Doctor Strange too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that was a movie that you felt was directed by by him. He had his stamp on it, you know. Which is funny yeah. because Marvel films are kind of known be, to being very very uniform in their presentation. Mm -hmm. And Doctor Strange too, I felt that Sam Raimi Sam Raimi presence. I was like, oh, that's he. That's something he would do. Yeah, like this the stuff that is in that movie is some. Like, you can see that movie and see parts of the Evil Dead in them. Yes. It's so good. That's why I'm excited. I love Sam Raimi. I think he's a cool guy. He seems really sweet. I uh, I want to give him more love, you know? I want to, I wanna, mm -hmm. like, appreciate him more. And that's why I'm excited to go back through the first one. And I think before... So, this movie is celebrating its 40th anniversary, but the sequel or sequel to the reboot or a reboot i'm not really sure what it is it's called evil dead rise 
which has a super mm-hmm. disturbing trailer. That trailer kind of fucked me up a little bit. Uh, yeah. Have you seen it? <laughs> I've seen the trailer multiple times. Yeah. I mean, oh, I did too. I, I like I like when the mom says, Mommy's with the maggots. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, that's what I was going to say right now. I was literally going to say that, it's like when she says that line. That's so good. When she when she uh when you see the piece of glass sticking out of her throat and mm-hmm. uh she the kid grabs like the cheese grater and like like hooks it onto her leg. Uh-huh. That movie's gonna be violent. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> kinda go yeah, see it, but I... that's how I felt. That's how I felt watching the remake too. But like, it's it's not like I don't know. It, there's something different about the kind of violence in The Evil Dead than in something like Hostel or Saw or or like those movies. Like I I don't feel good watching those movies, but I feel good watching The Evil Dead. <laughs> that's the interesting thing. That's actually. A wonderful point that you've brought up because you and I have gone on record to say that we don't like torture porn, which is kind of like what Hostel is, uh, what Saw is. And yet in the remake, there's some super violent stuff like a girl chainsaws her own hand, her own arm. Uh, a guy gets like a needle stuck like underneath his eye, like through his eyelid. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, You see a dog get violently killed. And at the very end, you see like someone get chainsawed straight through their head like it is violent yeah and it's not like violence they don't do like the thing where like you you hate the characters and they deserve to die you don't feel that way about any of the characters you know they're all there they're all pretty decent people and they're all like trying to help their friend get off of of drugs yeah. you know it's not it's not like I don't know, something but but that's the thing yeah why why am i not peeved by the evil dead franchise or the two films that i have seen uh, compared to not even finishing Hostel. I don't know why. Maybe we'll find an answer to that while we're watching this one. But I do like that you bring up the fact that the characters are typically likable. Here's here's a little side story. So in the remake, there's a character whose his name is Eric. He's played by Lou Taylor Pucci. Uh, mm-hmm. I met him. He was oh. in another film. Uh, he was in another film, an independent, small independent film that was premiering at the film festival i was volunteering at the irvine international film festival i was volunteering i watched the film he was there i met him i loved the movie and i just kept talking to him and he was like really cool and sweet and like super polite and he just kept like indulging me in these conversations (laughs) and in the last day i and then at that point the evil dead trailer had come out for the remake and on the last day i see him during the awards he actually took best actor I nice. He took best actor at at that uh, film festival. At the at the party, I've said him. He's like, "Hey, man. So, good luck. Can't wait to see you in the Evil Dead." And I was like, "Hopefully, I don't end up hating your character because in the trailer, he's the guy who's reading the book, the Necronomicon. <laughs> you know, he's the character that like literally yeah. opens up the demons, the portal mm-hmm. to hell or whatever." And I was like, yeah. "Hey, man." I hope I don't end up hating your character because you're that you're that horror guy. You know, you're the guy that fucks everything up. And he was just laughing and he's like, hey, man, (laughs) you know, someone someone has to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember watching him in that movie and I loved him. He's great. Um, Yeah. And like, that's the thing about horror movies. Like the the characters in the movie don't know that they're actually in a horror movie. So like us sitting here saying, oh, shouldn't have read that book. It's like. Bro, the Necronomicon isn't real, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. If you found some like him, weird I was like, book, why would you ever read the book? And he was like, <laughs> you know, like, hey man, I'm curious. 
like my character's curious and i was like i guess yeah if someone gives you a if you find a like a, a, a book in a cabin somewhere you're gonna go through it and and the book has powers too right so it kind of like wants to be read mm-hmm. so i don't know it's it's silly i think that's the theme of evil dead just don't read books mm-hmm. i think that's the real thing <laughs> don't read books the theme. <laughs> don't read books that's not the theme i'm oh pretty sure god. that's the theme because i guarantee oh you my if god the book had not been read all those people would be alive so don't read books children we're supposed to be telling people we're supposed to be like at the front of media literacy and you're coming off with these takes from the evil dead series <laughs> bro <laughs> don't read children oh <laughs> uh, no but i it's i i've had a little interesting history with evil dead because i like the two films i've seen i um I want to go back and rewatch them, and and I am excited for the the new one. I think it's going to be great. So I'm excited overall. I think this is going to be a great review discussion. And the making of this film was a shit show. Like the the making of the I movie, can't imagine uh, you. From what I can remember, everyone was miserable. Everyone, nobody was happy <laughs> by the end because it was it took years to make the movie, and they were out. In the middle of nowhere, it was cold. That was something that they kept saying. It was cold. It was terribly cold. They might have gotten sick. Nobody wanted to be there. And then somehow this this little movie got the intention of the Coen brothers, of Stephen King. Like people saw this movie and wanted more. So Mm -hmm. I'm super curious to see what that history is like, what happened, and how is it today? Does it hold up? Yeah, and we've we've talked about like one thing in the movie that might not age yes, very well, we have, uh, which which we might as well just talk about because uh, it, it, you know for people who don't know, there is a really sensitive scene in the movie that even Sam Raimi has kind of spoken about. This is like a mild spoilers, but there is like it it's a rape scene. Um, essentially, yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's like the it's like when you, when the person gets possessed, it's like. Of literal branches of a tree grabbing her and stuff so like you can imagine like it, it doesn't show it explicitly but it's what you see like there's no room for imagination like you know what's happening yes so it's just it's just kind of gross in like a not feel good way uh, so if that's something that would bother you it, it is in the movie so you can skip over that part or if you want to skip the movie altogether you can do that too no yeah, worries. this movie is not for everyone. And even if you're a horror fan, but that kind of stuff like really bothers you. It, it's a tough movie to get through. And that was by design. Sam Raimi, I think I from man, I wish I remember what I what behind the scenes thing I saw, but Sam Raimi we'll, went We'll on get to, to say, it at the end. Yeah, he we'll... was like he wanted to push the envelope. Yeah, I think a lot of people did. I think even I remember hearing Brandon's podcast talk about Cronenberg and he did a movie that was that kind of had a similar thing going on. But I, I feel like uh Raimi's someone who has grown oh, since yeah. then. And like you when you when you're like this you want to do all these like uh horrible horrible things and put them on film to like shock people, I think you kind of grow out of that where you're like okay i need to be more intentional about how i shock yes you know uh and some people some people grow up and some people don't (laughs) uh but it's not it's always good to hear about people growing up and learning from from stuff and not trying to repeat the stuff that worked before 
you know. Absolutely. So. And I, I do think it's also important to watch some scenes like that, like to watch these movies untouched because they are still a relic of the past. But it's good to dissect. OK, why was this like a common theme that a lot of young male directors wanted to portray? Why did they want to go there? Was it the times or was it the genre? I, I you know, I mean, collectively, there seemed to have been like this this uh, mentality to want to push things as far as they can, you know, and rape is definitely one of those things that in society is super, it's, it's just terrible. Right. And that seems to be a, a shortcut that a lot of people want to take, but it's still really interesting to see kind of, okay, how does, does, how does it fit? What is it saying? Um, who else kind of had this mentality and analyzing it and that way, you know, so, and I think it's important because that way we can learn from it. And that way we could look to, to films coming out now and films that people want to make and say okay how are they portraying it if they're even portraying it and kind of just making something that's a bit more well put together maybe more thought out that's the goal at least mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's really the only thing that even we've talked about but sam raimi's been very vocal about not liking that scene you know not liking that scene so good on him you know learn learn from uh it's it's good to learn and grow yeah Okay, so let's talk about 1983, and then we'll talk about how you can stream this movie, and then we'll get on to the second part of the episode. Uh, in So the movie came out in 1981, but it made theaters in 1983, so we're going to compare it to the box office of 1983. In 1983, the highest grossing movie of the year was Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Number two, Tootsie. Number Ooh. three... Flashdance. Number four, Trading Places. Number five, War Games. <laughs> I love that uh, movie. It's so silly. Uh, number six, Octopussy. <laughs> number seven, Staying Alive. Number eight, Risky Business. Number nine, Mr. Mom. Number ten, National Lampoon's Vacation. Also coming out this year, The Big Chill. Wait, E.T.? No way. E.T. came out this year? Or is it just a re-release? Oh, no, it's a re-release. Because E.T. was one of the highest grossing films when it came out. Oh, it came out in June of... Oh, it came out in June of 82. But it was in theaters for so long. Mm, it oh. made number 16 on the highest grossing movies of 1983. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that E.T. made a fuck ton of money. I'm like, there's no way E.T.'s not the top 10. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. You got some... You got Psycho 2 and uh, Porky's 2. The Dark Crystal. <gasps> oh. Scarface. Might, that might be a good one to talk about mm -hmm. at some point. I, I have some thoughts yeah. about the Dark Crystal. Yeah, I, I, as I recall, you're not a fan. No, I am not. But I, I have <laughs> been wanting to revisit it. But... yeah. I, I did not like that movie, but I will never forget the mm, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, I've never actually seen it. I'm, I'm curious. I love like puppet stuff. So, yeah, interesting year. Very interesting, interesting year. Sophie's Choice also came out this mm. year, too. And the controversial Twilight Zone movie. <gasps> oh, it might be that time to to do the I Twilight. do not. Maybe. Well, I'm like, I won't say also coming out this year is Never Say Never Again, so I guess Never Say Never, but I kind of don't want to do <laughs> that Twilight movie. Zone is, we have mentioned it before plenty of times, 
Yeah. That it will and it is an interesting movie even from the actual film put together cuz it's like four short yeah. stories. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's I didn't know it came out that year. It might be it's a rock solid year. Like there's a ton of movies to go into. I've never seen Tootsie, but be number 2? Mhm. Whoa. That's wild. All right. Well, it, look, a great year. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies to choose from. But I think if we if we do revisit this year, it will be our first stop will be the Evil Dead. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Evil Oh, so I looked up the the box office information why why Wikipedia said 20, 29 million and it's because of the international box office. Oh. So domestic it made 2.4 million and in the international it made 27 million, but it doesn't really list where that where it made the money it's it's like australia zero dollars new zealand sixty three thousand. united kingdom two thousand but like those are re-releases from like 2020 and 2018 mm. and then it just says rest of the world 26 million like where the hell are you getting these numbers <laughs> yeah i'm really curious to see to find out more about it it could be a rocky horror picture show scenario where mm-hmm. um maybe it's just been re-released so many times that it's still making money to this day yeah, it could be. Okay. Well, if you would like to watch The Evil Dead with us, it's not on a lot of streaming services. It is on Amazon Prime for $4 and Vudu for $4. That seems to be it. Yeah, it looks like you can maybe stream it on AMC Plus. If you're a subscriber to AMC Plus, kind of forgot that they, they had a streaming service. <laughs> um... Yeah, this is Amazon and Voodoo, really, for four bucks. Uh, but yeah, and you know, we're, we're going to go watch the movie. We'll come back, and if you know you didn't want to watch it, we will always summarize the movie, too, so that you can feel included on in the conversation that we're going to have afterwards. Yeah, and look, guys, if this, if this isn't your cup of tea, no worries. Austin and I love guiding you through these movies as well. It's kind of fun to kind of have to explain a little bit of the backstory on some things it, i think it's kind of fun but we always yeah, recommend you guys watch so. the film uh mm-hmm. but this I, this is an nc-17 movie it's very hardcore like even if some of the stuff looks dated it's the uh it's still the the thought process behind of you know him chainsawing like a girl's head off and stuff like that like it's still you know it's still kind of it's yeah. still a tough subject matter yeah and it needs she's a zombie at that point like it's not it's not like he's doing it because like he hates her or something. No, no, she's, no, no, no. She's a zombie. She's <laughs> yeah. or, or a deadite, I think, is the term. And for some reason, this doesn't bug me as much as like you know, hostile. Which mm-hmm. is funny because I'm looking at pictures from the remake. <laughs> I kind of want to watch the uh, the old one and the new one, the remake. <laughs> and because I'm watching pictures of it, it's like, oh my god, I forgot that. Like she takes like a razor and cuts her tongue down the middle. Yeah, like she splits her. I totally forgot about that. I'm like, oh my yep. god, why, why didn't this like freak me out way more? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm really curious. I think the looking into the violence in the film, why it kind of resonates to some people and maybe not others. How was it received back then? I think that's really interesting because this was NC17 yeah. and people loved it. But I don't know. I'm kind of curious. Very curious. All right. So with that. We will see you in one minute. No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, actually. 
stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I don't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend, you take care of her. Everybody, we have just finished watching 1981's The Evil Dead, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell and Ellen Ellen Sandweiss, Richard Dumanicor, Betsy Baker, and Teresa Tilly. This is not the first time that either of us have seen it. This it is, is not. actually a rewatch for both of us. Correct. Austin, how do you feel the film has aged? I think... On the most part, I think it's aged very well. I think the way that the camera moves is something that is just so fun and so timeless. And there's there's like a moment in the movie where you're like, all right, so it's, is it just like a nasty movie? Is it just a bunch of gore and blood and stuff? And then like something happens. Like there's a moment in the movie where he's just like alone in the cabin. And all the stuff that's happening is just like really simple, like camera stuff. But it's done in a way that that I don't. Every, anytime I see it in another movie, I'm like, "That's a Sam Raimi thing. They got that. They watched The Evil Dead too." Oh man, it is a, a work of art. It is a piece of, of cinema history. I think it 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 should be in a museum somewhere. You know, <laughs> that's it belongs in a museum. <laughs> not like not like that, but like. It, it's something that uh, I think should be like studied and maybe broken down in like an academic setting alongside, you know, films that traditionally are put in the academic setting, you know, like Casablanca or Citizen Kane, The Godfather. I feel like there should be a course on something like The Evil Dead and how innovative it is with the very, very limited amount of resources that they had. To do something like this it's it's pretty impressive that a bunch of like young 20 year olds made this movie and it affected so many people after after afterwards man i had a giant smile hearing you talk and say all those things because i absolutely agree i think the movie's awesome i think it's aged beautifully now some of the technical things may not have certain makeup effects but i'm not gonna hold that against the film because they had very little money making this film. And this is a feature-length film. And they didn't have a big studio. It was just a bunch of 20-year-olds, <laughs> young 20-year-olds, who just wanted to make a movie. And they went out and did it. And they there was blood, sweat, and tears making this movie. So and much. that's what it took to make this movie. And the fact that it's cool and awesome is great. And I do agree with you. I think The Evil Dead is an interesting film because... It has something that's wholly unique that separates it from other films, but it's not really obvious what it is. Because mm -hmm. I think we watched the documentary on YouTube and it kind of, someone said it best. It's like, it's not a wholly original idea. It's a bunch of people who go out into the woods and they don't come back. That How many movies have that same premise? But there's something about the evil dead that makes it stand out. 
that is wholly unique that people have that people can't really replicate. They could have their own spins to it, their own ideas. And that's great. That's cool. But it's just never the same. And I think that speaks to the talent behind the camera, in front of the camera, and the amount of effort that went into making this film. I And I absolutely agree. I think there should be courses on it. Like, you could have an Evil Dead course that breaks down all the elements of what we can learn from what they went through and what we can learn from the film, both from the technical, philosophical, and production-wise of it, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot to break down, and it's a classic for a reason, and I think it holds up really well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's ah, it's it's a great um, movie to revisit. I don't think I've seen it more than the one time, but it was just mm. it was still fun this time. Um, there is the one scene though that I just it doesn't really. It's a lot more gratuitous than I remember. Um, yeah, but like that's like the only the only thing that I don't like about the movie where I'm just like, I, they really didn't need to do this, but, and even I don't like it. I don't like it. And it doesn't really make that much sense in the story, but it is one of those things where I kind of try to get into the mind of Sam Raimi and I, I get the reasoning behind it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm, and I think that's the point of this stuff, right? It's to look back and it's like, all right, what did they do? What can we do better? And having that self-reflection. And Sam Raimi had that. Yeah. And But then and, you, you have like the remake where they kind of do it again. Like it's less, it's less graphic. The scene in, that we're talking about, the, the yeah. sexual assault from the trees. Uh, it's less, less uh, gratuitous, but it's still kind of there. And it's like, well, why did, why did we do it again? I don't know. It's yeah. like the one thing I don't well, like about that movie. <laughs> well, I think they kind of ran into an issue, which is something that a lot of remakes have to go through, right? It's obviously it's a re it's a remake, soft reboot, whatever of the original Evil Dead. And this is, you know, the scene we're talking about is the rape scene. We will be getting into it. So if you, you find that conversation uncomfortable, I would just skip that section when we go into it. But just know we will be getting into it at some point. But yeah, the oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, the the problem with having remakes is the fact that you have an established fan base that wants to see some of those some familiar beats hit, right? Like the book, the Necronomicon has to be there. The Book of the Dead has to be in there. Someone's got to get locked in a cellar. <laughs> there has to be like some well, you, amputations, yes, decapitations. Yeah, but like you don't need to do every single no, thing, no, you know? No, well, that, well, the, that's the problem. It's that. You want people to hit the same beats. But as a filmmaker, it's like, how far can you go with your own flavor on it? Like your own set pieces, your own storytelling beats. And how much do you adhere to the same, to the original? Mm-hmm. Because we've seen we've seen remakes that completely stray and they're successful. And others that stray that are lambasted for moving away from the original source. I think the filmmakers were in a tough spot because it's like, look, that scene is notorious. Well, people want to see it. What do we do? When the film was being written, um, that scene wasn't in there. And then one of the producers, who is unnamed, said, hey, where's the tree rape? And then the, he had to put it in the movie because the producer asked him to. Yeah. So because because mm-hmm. that because for for better or worse typically for worse, that scene is, no, it's, it's big. Like, people are familiar with it. I think that's the problem that you run into when you're making a remake. When you're remaking something, it's 
how faithful do you are you what do you change what do you keep in and that's the thing too a lot of movies in the 70s 80s 60s like they did a bunch of really gnarly things a lot of gnarly things they did and you know we could argue the politics we could argue the the intention behind those scenes but they were done like it was the time it happened that's it but nowadays you really can't do the same stuff but hardcore fans will say no but you gotta have it in have <laughs> it in there and that's where you know you know i i think we've made our stance very clear that we don't like the scene even re-watching this movie like i was like oh man this scene is a lot worse than i remember it's bad and yeah. it goes on for a minute yeah and I, I think that the well, I guess we'll just talk about it now. Well, should we talk about it now, or should we just get into the the rest of the? No, no, we we could we could get into it later. Okay, we'll um, get into it later um, because I I did want to see what the the actress who was like a who I guess is still a longtime friend of Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. She has a a kind of story about it, but I I would like to talk about her experience with the scene and how that affected her the premiere for her and maybe Ooh, yeah. her relationship with uh, Sam Raimi for a few years after the movie was released. But I, I mm-hmm. think they're, everybody's all good now. Like they, they're like, they're all friends again, in a sense, you know, everyone's yeah. all good now. Well, people have, I, it seems like whatever troubles there were while making the movie, it seems like they have long been put to sleep. And, yeah, and there everybody were, seems there to have pod- so many, so many hurdles that they had to go through yeah. that like an actor now, like it, with the unions and stuff, there was, there's no way this movie would have been allowed to be made. It goes back to what you were saying. People used to do crazy shit back in the day. Like it's gnarly. Mm-hmm. Like and people are like, we need to go back to the good old days. Like, look, I admire what the filmmakers behind this movie did. Kudos, you know? Yeah. Uh, but damn, that like, doesn't mean we I have to do that again. You know? Yes. Like yes, we, yes, yes. Now we we know. Hey, these these people, these actors have feelings. These these chemicals we're using have like adverse <laughs> have adverse effects on the human skin. Um, let's learn from what they did and make something better in the future. You know what I mean? Or in the present. But uh, absolutely, we should learn from the past. That's mm-hmm. something that people like. Okay, are we criticizing certain aspects of the movie because of the production? Absolutely, we still admire what they did. But I think the best route is hey, let's acknowledge what happened. Nobody died, thank God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we still have, we could still keep it very positive, but let's learn from it, you know, because, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't improve the standards of working, people would be getting taken advantage of all the time right right and it and it it still happens to this day now potential hopefully not as much but people have lost their lives on set still i mean we we we, we had rust yeah a few months ago where the dp was shot and killed mm-hmm. accidentally on set but it still you, happened you also have uh, stunt people dying on un- unsafe sets like in deadpool 2 you had somebody yes pass away you... there, someone died during the making of blade runner 2049 Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, someone did. And a camera assistant died on the making of a film called Midnight Rider. Sarah Jones, a camera assistant on Midnight Rider, who was killed by a train during filming as a result of unsafe actions by the film's director and producer. So people still get taken advantage of, right? And thankfully, in this scenario, that never happened. But again, let's just let's learn what we can. Clearly, Sam Raimi did. Mm-hmm. And... 
I don't think he ever went as bananas as he did on the Evil Dead. So. <laughs> yeah. So we could keep this episode pretty light in that regard. Yeah. But, you know, if we're not, we're not, you know, we're not saying that they're shitty people. Like obviously they were young, and they just ambitious. they didn't know any better, and they just they really really wanted to make this movie. Like no one was like forced to to do all this stuff. Yeah. But you know, yeah. when you want to make a movie, sometimes you will do stuff you're uncomfortable with because you really want to make the movie. And that's like a whole other thing, but yeah. everybody's all good now. At, at least yeah. that's what they say, you know, and they, they still like hang out and do panels together and stuff. So yeah. everything's okay now, <laughs> but that doesn't all mean right, so, do this. Thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Let's, let's be careful, right? If you're yeah. going to go low budget, don't go as low as how the evil. Dead went. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I, yeah, I think if you've never seen this movie, go check it out. Like, Maybe go in knowing that obviously the film has aged in certain re- in certain technical regards, right? Like some of the makeup hasn't and stuff. But if you go in with like an open mind and knowing that it's kind of a low budget independent horror film from made during the 70s, I think you're going to go in and kind of appreciate some of the jank, some of the cheesiness. And I think that makes the gore hit a little bit harder. So go check it out. It's And plus the Evil Dead Rise film is coming out. So... Go check this franchise out if you've never seen it. Yes, I highly recommend it. It, it is on the streaming services like Amazon and, and YouTube and all that stuff. If you can watch it in a theater, I, maybe you, you will get some kind of, I don't know. It, I feel like it hits different when you're when it, with an audience. It's, it's a fun one to watch with an audience, I think. But let's get into The Evil Dead. Uh, this is the part of the episode where we talk about about the story so that we have context for the conversation we're about to have. All right, so the film is about these five Michigan State University kids. We have Ash Williams, who's played by Bruce Campbell. He's our hero. He is also our sole survivor. Uh, He has a sister, uh, Cheryl, and he has a girlfriend, Linda. And then they all are friends with each other. Uh, There's Scott who is kind of like your, he's kind of a dick. He's the, the guy driving the car who who's like very quick to leave everybody uh, when as soon as they get zombified. Um, and then you have Shelly, who is Scott's girlfriend. Cheryl's kind of like a hippie, you know. Linda is kind of like a, a preppy kind of student. I'm assuming that because she's wearing like, She's repping Michigan State on her, <laughs> on her sweater. So they, they have the idea to go to this cabin in the woods. They, they drive into the cabin. It's a creepy cabin. There's like a, a, a swinging chair that keeps banging on the wall. But as soon as the Scott opens the door, it stops. So you know there's something weird about this place. Uh, they go in. It's kind of a dump. Uh, they, there's a cellar door. That's kind of flapping open and stuff. And Shelly's kind of freaked out. Or not Shelly. Cheryl. She's kind of freaked out about this place. She doesn't like this place. They find a tape recorder. And a a book of the dead. Uh, And they're college kids. It's it's a creepy. Scott likes to like scare the girls. So he. They play the tape recorder. And you hear like this. The scientist, doctor, uh, archaeologist talk about the findings of this book and how it can summon ancient Sumerian demons. And 
Cheryl's like, I don't like this. Um, and Scott, of course, keeps playing it. And he, the the voice over the over the recorder uh, recording starts reading the, the book. And then we, we we get this like crazy shot of something in the woods just moving around super fast, like turning and, and it's like alive. It's like a snake, but it, it's just flying through the, the, the air of this creepy woods. Eventually a window breaks like all of a sudden and it freaks everybody out. And Cheryl's really upset. She goes into her a room to sulk and then she sees something in the woods so she goes outside and she's like, hello, is anybody there? I saw you looking at me. And then she gets chased by this like weird, I don't even know how to what describe it. She gets chased by the evil dead, I will say. <laughs> and it starts possessing the trees and the trees grab her and it sexually assaults her. And she breaks free from the trees and goes back inside and she tries to tell people, tell the, her friends, something is there in the woods and it attacked me. And... Ash is like, okay, well, we'll, we'll take you, I'll take you into town so that you can sleep somewhere else because you're, you're freaked out. They don't really believe her, but they see that she's been wounded by something. Uh, so he tries to drive out, but the bridge that they came on has collapsed. So they're stuck there. And she's like, it won't let us leave. It won't let us leave. We're all going to die here. They go back to the cabin. The other two girls are like playing with cards. Shelly is letting Linda believe she has ESP or something. Like she's holding up a card. What card is it? Four of clubs. But it's like a jack of spades. And she's like, oh, how did you know it was the right card? But then Cheryl starts naming all of the cards. And it's revealed that she's been possessed. And she's like floating around. Like they all see that she's floating around and her eyes are all glossed over and her face is changed and stuff. So they're like, okay. There's something wrong with her. There's something evil here. Uh, I think at that point, Cheryl starts to attack them and ends up stabbing Linda in the leg with a pencil. And they kind of trap Shelly and Cheryl in the basement. And they're like trying to decide what they're going to do, trying to think of how they're going to get out of there. Ash takes Linda to, to a room to sleep, to recover. And then they start hearing noises around the, the cabin and something now inhabits Shelly and Shelly's possessed and she attacks Scott and Scott dismembers her because a part of like the recording is like the only way to get rid of the possession is fully to fully dismember the deadites or the, the zombies or whatever. So he dismembers her. Shelly's dead. They go bury her. And uh, Scott is like, I need to get out of here. I don't care what happens to Linda. She's your girlfriend. She's your responsibility. I'm out of here. So he leaves. Ash checks on Linda and she's she's possessed. And he's like, oh, shit, she's possessed, too. He tries to, like, separate himself from her. Cheryl's like throughout the movie. Cheryl's in the in the basement, just banging on the door, taunting Ash the entire time. And it's really funny. Uh, and then Scott comes back and he's he got fucked up by something in the woods. So Ash is kind of like the only able-bodied person at this point. And then uh, he's forced to kill Linda because she's she's trying to get violent. And all of a sudden Scott gets up and he's possessed. So he has to fight Scott too. It's very hard for him to do, but he ends up 
Well, he doesn't dismember Linda right away. He tries to dismember her, but he's, it's too hard. He just gave her a necklace and he's like, I can't do this to her. So he just buries her. But because the rules are you have to dismember them, she still attacks him and ends up messing up his leg really bad. And he's, he's kind of forced to cut off her head with a shovel. He's in the cabin alone, freaking out, doesn't know what to do. The Scott and Cheryl, Cheryl breaks free from the basement, starts attacking him. Scott's attacking him. He's like, what do I do? But he sees the book of the dead and he sees the fire. He's like, oh, maybe if I burn the book, everything will be okay. So he uses the necklace that he gave Linda to like grab the book and toss it into the fire. And then all of the deadites melt and decompose. And he's like, oh, I did it. I broke the curse. Dawn, it's dawn. He steps out for some fresh air and he's like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. But the evil dead is still in the woods and some, the camera thing happens and it like zooms into him and he screams. His fate is left unknown, but he's probably possessed now, right? That's the end of the movie. It's a really simple plot, very straightforward. Which is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, normally, when we praise a movie, we like talking about the negative things. But I think we have to talk about the positives first. Because it's this movie is really interesting. Because I stand by what I say. I said, this movie is very basic. A group of kids go into the woods and they don't leave. And there's like some evil force that has forsaken them. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if forsaken is sure the right verb, but torturing them. them up. <laughs> tortures them. Does a lot of fucked up things to these kids. <laughs> I'm sure you could find a ton of movies that fit that description. 100%. Mm-hmm. And yet this movie stands out. And it has such a unique voice. But why is that? It has a basic ass premise. It's super janky. The movie doesn't have any support from any big studio. The cast isn't particularly amazing. Like you don't have any like Leonardo DiCaprio's in the cast. Yeah, well, they're, right, like they're any... not, like, amazing in the sense that you recognize them, right? In the classical sense, yes. They're yeah, they're not the, the Meryl Streep's, right? But they, they so, are amazing in a different way. Yeah, and some of the makeup, they are amazing, but for different reasons, which we'll get into. The effects, some of them hold up pretty well, and some of them don't. But the movie doesn't stand out because of that. And I think that's the thing. This movie does a lot of things right. And it nails all of them. And I think that's what makes it unique. I don't think it's like one specific thing. I think people are turned on by it because of the of the of the fact that it's a gory film, right? But when you watch it, it's like this movie's good for a lot of different reasons. Each aspect of it isn't really unique in itself, but when you add all of them together, that's what makes it unique, if that makes sense. Let's start talking about the cast. Cast isn't, you know a cast full of Meryl Streep, young Meryl Streeps and young Leo, <laughs> but they're all really good. They're all very good. Uh, Bruce Campbell's like the standout, right? Because he's in all the rest of the evil deads and he's, he kind of shows up in all of Sam Raimi's movies. The, the character of Ash in, in the first evil dead, he's like a very like good guy, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times in zombie movies or this isn't really a zombie thing, but like the audience knows they're a zombie kill them you know but ash he's the one that like really struggles like killing his friend that turned into a zombie is the hardest thing that he could ever do 
And even though he knows if he doesn't do it, he's going to die, he still has a really hard time doing it. So I think mm-hmm. that's like the sincerity part that we were talking about, I think, I think in the first part of this episode, right? No, we were talking about sincerity when it, it during our John Wick episode. Oh, yeah. That's, our John Wick 4. But, we're but, a bunch but, of soft boys here. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'll say I, I agree with you that sincerity shines through with Ash a lot, which... Even watching this movie to today, this movie came out in eighty one technically mm-hmm. and wide release in eighty three. But it there's there is a sincerity to Ash, and I think a lot of people remember Bruce Campbell from the sequels where he's like a lot funnier, a lot cooler. Like you know, yeah. his, one of his favorite lines is one of his most popular lines is groovy. Like it's almost like a guy that can handle this situation. But in this first one, that's not really the case. Like Ash is is a clumsy motherfucker. Like he gets tossed around he gets like a fucking thrown through, through so many bookcases. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he gets tossed around like a rubber ball in a dodgeball match, like <laughs> everywhere. And he gets overpowered easily. He gets a bunch of shit like sprayed on him. Like multiple times he constantly gets attacked and he looks scared, mm-hmm. but I really like that. It almost endears me to him and I'm watching Ash and I'm like, damn, buddy, you got it rough. <laughs> damn. Why, why are you torturing him, Sam Raimi? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's there's a funny story where I guess Bruce Campbell got injured for real, yeah, for reals yeah. on set. And Sam kept poking the injury with a stick. Yeah, I think what, he said that he might have... Well, Bruce Campbell says he broke his ankle. And of course, the I think Tappert, Roger, Robert Tappert, who's the producer, uh, along with Sam Raimi, like the three of them were like friends going into this, right? Yes. They hurt his ankle. They put like a makeshift splint into into the boot or his, you know, where his foot was to like straighten it. And he he was Bruce Campbell says he was in so much pain. He started laughing and <laughs> they thought that what was happening was funny. So they kept poking him or like messing with his leg with that stick. And he kept laughing and he kept telling them to stop. But they were like. He's laughing. He must be having a good time. <laughs> That's how he tells it. Which, but Tapper says like, "Oh, I knew that he was in pain, but it was funny. It was immature, but it was funny." So it's, which it's funny because Jesus in another, it, it's funny because. <laughs> That's a fucked up story. It is a really fucked up story. It's fucked up. And on principle, I think if this had happened in another production, we would be very upset. It's like, that's really bad. But for me, because they're really close friends, it was a bunch of 20 year olds making this movie. And like, they were really close. I just can't help but like, kind of oddly think it's a little cute, but fucked up. I don't, it's a fucked up, it's a fucked up scenario. I admit that. But it's just kind of like, man, friends, huh? They'll fuck with you. I I don't know. I just... (laughs) Yeah, it's just yeah. one of those things where it's like, man, why do you keep fucking with him? It's like, cause it's, cause it's Bruce, man. We fuck with him all the time. Yeah, like it, I don't know if someone were to do that to me now, I would probably would not be friends with them anymore. But because the set of the Evil Dead was like not kind to anybody, it, yeah. it almost felt like they were in the trenches together. So f- in this scenario, it was really funny. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's a story that hasn't traumatized Bruce Campbell. It's something that he will tell for laughs. So, But there is something about Ash just being like a young, like he's a handsome man and he's very young. And there's something about just seeing a young, handsome man who's sincere, uh, who's seen his 
sister and his girlfriend absolutely get demolished by these zombies. And there's something about it that's just like, man, that's... I'm sorry, buddy. And I think the other actors and actresses stand out really well, too. And they all kind of have their interesting, like... What I think is interesting is they have, like, their zombie personality but they right. also have like their human personality right. and i think that's maybe something that makes them stand out a bit because you've had like shit talking demons and zombies before like the exorcist did it right right years before where she's like fuck me fuck me i'll suck your cock or something like that i don't i've something I like saw that the exorcist. yeah i saw the exorcist one and i fell asleep <laughs> in the face of the enemy let the enemy have no power over And the sound of iniquity be powerless to harm Your mother sucks cocks and hell terrorists, you One time I did see The Exorcist, I did fall asleep. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't the film's fault. I was just exhausted. I think I had done like an all-nighter mm-hmm. the night before. So I was like, fuck this. I'll watch this later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of shit-talking demon zombie was not an original thing. But this movie kind of did a little interesting with it. Because you've got Cheryl, who's possessed first. And she's kind of like the typical zombie. Like, she's like the the hyper-aggressive one and um, is out to hurt people, obviously. And then you've got Linda. Her zombie's really... Or her, I keep saying zombie. Her deadite yeah. is really interesting because she doesn't really try to hurt Ash all that much. It's more like she's toying she, with him. She hurts him towards the end when she, like, scratches his, his leg. But, like, mo- she's, like, the annoying one. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> And she's taunting him, and she's like, is letting Ash slap the shit out of her. And not phased by it at all. He, Ash will, like, drag her by her feet. Linda doesn't respond. And Linda's just there, like, sitting down, toying with him, and just smiling at him in a creepy manner. And it's like, okay, there's just something about it. I started talking in this really sing-song baby girl voice, and then I started singing, and then I started laughing. And when I started laughing, there were p- crew people in, in the cabin, and they just stopped. And they said, stop it. Stop her. Stop that. And Sam and I just looked at each other and said, that's where we'll go. That's what we'll do. We'll just make her this baby doll figure that you just want to throw against the wall. Scott's is a bit more like straightforward zombie. Like, no real personality. Just straightforward zombie. Like, I'm going to kill you. Cheryl has that, like, uh, menacing brutality linda has like yeah. the more annoying playfulness shelly's i can't remember too well shelly because they kill her right away oh that's right so cheryl's the one that they lock up in the in the cellar right and then shelly's the one oh that's why he's like we can't bury shelly she's our friend she's our friend yeah yeah okay <laughs> okay but so you have these different personalities for these deadites and i think that helps it stand out too and the contrast between them between the characters before they're consumed to after is really distinct so it already throws you off yeah that's that's a performance in and of itself right like to to play the human part that's like oh my god i'm terrible things are happening i'm running through the woods and then when they become the deadite like that's all performance well and prosthetics and the way that they they move is like that's that's really creepy like if you're watching like the behind the scenes stuff it, they're just like slating it and go action and you see how they're moving it's like wow that's really that's really that that actor that's that's really uh ellen sandweiss that's doing that it's funny how quickly these actors will like 
get in the zone and out. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes they'll get hurt and they'll react to, like, ow. But, like, for example, Linda will kind of, or, um, what's her name? Cheryl will laugh and she's like, I can't do this all day, guys. <laughs> she's doing that. <laughs> and when she's in and the she's basement, like, like, banging on the, on the yeah, trap door. Yeah. And she's like, I can't do this all day. So, clear, and obviously, in the, the filming conditions were not ideal. So they were under a lot of pressure, but they, like, turned it on and off very quickly <laughs> i can't do that okay. forever you kind of forget that that's a human being doing all of that you do kind of forget that even though the makeup is a little not great but there is something about it just like oh man that <laughs> that that hasn't aged well right but the actors their performances really gets you involved and i don't know it makes you hate this uh evil dead book of the dead thing because they just keep fucking with poor ash and you're like god damn yeah it's like join us just like little things that that make it so like uh impactful right like before mm -hmm. any of the supernatural stuff happens before any of the possessions or anything there's that scene where cheryl is like drawing right because she's like the hippie artsy one she's just drawing mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden she loses control of her hand and she's like forced to draw this like evil book of the dead and the way that she's her hand is like holding the pencil and like just digging into the paper it's like cutting through the pieces of paper onto like the next sheet over and she's still going and it's like what the hell is happening <laughs> and then they just go on and just all right let's play board games <laughs> That Cheryl scene was the one that really kind of... It kicks off the movie, obviously, right? Like, she's the first one to be possessed. Upon upon rewatching it, I kind of like, oh, like, I appreciate that. Like, like her drawing, right? Mm -hmm. Those little moments really started like, oh, that's, that's really cool. And when Cheryl starts, like, guessing the cards, mm -hmm. I totally did not really pick up... Like, I didn't think it was cool when I first saw it, but now it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I, I see what they're doing. It's very efficient I, I use of, of time in this movie, right? Like, there's a yeah. reason they're, they're doing this, the silly card thing. And, you know, Shelly letting Linda believe that she has psychic powers, right? And yeah. it's like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she's just so, so bored of being in this cabin. This is what she's doing. And then it really kind of, when Cheryl starts naming the cards, it's like, oh, there's a change here. There's like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with Cheryl. And then she turns around. And, you know, it doesn't matter that the makeup isn't like, you know, super Hollywood level makeup. We're already in a state of like, oh, something's wrong here because of the simple fact that she's naming these cards and Shelly is now freaked out. Yeah, we're all freaked out. <laughs> and I think something that sells it more are their the characters' reactions to that. Right. One of my favorite scenes is when they've locked Cheryl up in the, uh, in the basement, right? Mm -hmm. And... Shelly, like they like it's the perspective of Cheryl when she's under. <laughs> yeah, and they like it's from her POV. Yeah. And Shelly's like, why does she keep me why does she keep making those horrible noises? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the scene, their reactions. That that whole thing just freaked me out a bit. I was like, why is this off-putting so much? Ash, I think we ought to get out of here. Yeah. Tell them a few more hours before morning. Does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't know! Her eyes! Her eyes! 
I think it's just you're slowly seeing them just unravel. Yeah, and it's also like the the camera work too. Like just yeah. like freaking Citizen Kane, where they like dug a trench in to get the the low angles. They did the same thing for the Evil Dead. That trap door, mm-hmm. they had to build that to so that they could put the camera down well so they could trap Cheryl down there. But also they put the camera there. So we're getting like this weird view from the characters or from the, the deadite. And we're seeing the characters react. It's such a, a good use, like technical, technically wise and like performance wise, it's it's good. It's good. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, I'm glad we're talking about the trap door, or not the trap door, but the the cellar mm-hmm. or the basement door, because that's actually a really kind of ingenious thing, right? Because again, like we were saying earlier, one of the things that we appreciate from this movie are the deadites' personalities, right? Mm-hmm. So, how do you get the deadites? close together without the entire film being them just wanting just wanting to kill ash you know? like if the deadites are trying to kill ash that means ash has to get away so he's going to lock himself in the bathroom or in a door behind them but the cool thing about the deadites is their personality so you have to create a scenario where you kind of put them in the same room and they still want to hurt him but for whatever reason they can't they're incapacitated that's why the trapdoor is genius because you get to lock one of them up but enough where we could still hear them we could still see them the characters can interact with him it could interact with Cheryl, but not be in immediate danger. If that if that makes sense, I don't know if I'm like yeah. She's having, she's there. She's she's always there, and she's a presence throughout the entire film. But you you found a way to not have her constantly chasing Ash right. them, or Ash. Like she's in close proximity to the main characters, mm-hmm. and because she's a friend that's possessed, and they could still see and hear her. She's a constant presence and she's adding pressure to the main characters. Yeah. She's constantly getting under their skins and there's not much they can do. And it leads to that scene where Shelly's like, why is she making those horrible noises? (laughs) I think that was really cool. I think that was really clever of saying, hey, let's trap her in the basement, but still have her be a presence in the film. Right. And then you can have that moment where, okay, now she's broken free. So then like, okay, stakes are up now because... The basement doors, the trap doors open and she's not there. Where, where is yes. she? <laughs> Oops. 100%. Once you're in the third act of the film, you're reaching the climax. What do you do to up the stakes? You open that trap door and you release Cheryl. Yeah. While you've got Scott reanimated and Linda, you know, reanimated as well. So beautiful implementation. I love that little set piece almost. Mm-hmm. The idea to put Cheryl in the trap door is iconic. Like it's great. Very good. So we talked about the the performances. Is there anything else? Oh, there's one thing that I wanted to bring up about the performances as well. It might have might go into like the making of part, but I feel like this is a good place to to talk about it now. The the makeup that they they put on was not meant to be used for human human skin. Yes, uh, it was not. And the contacts that they were wearing, you know, this was back in the late seventies. The contacts were like. I think made of glass they were hard and once they were in the actor could not see out of them so when they're in full deadite mode they can't see bruce had it really worse than anyone to some because a he had to be the actor in front of the camera so he had to maintain whatever actors have to do to get where they need to go to and we said you've got to put the contacts in the actress's eyes because you're the responsible one bruce so um he was given that chore, but there was no water. There was nothing in this cabin we were working in. There was only a coffee pot. 
to put instant coffee in scalding hot water. So he'd put his hands under there, kind of wash them, and then put the, eye, the eyes in and out. Back then, they were hard, full scleral contact lenses. Now you can get soft, and it's easy, pop them in. But then you actually had to have a little plastic applicator, and you'd have to pull the actor's eye open, and the lens would be mounted on the end of the applicator, and you have to go and pop it into their eye. And then they're completely blind. We couldn't see through them. They were about this big. They covered your whole eyeball, you know, unlike normal contacts that just cover your iris. Um, so all those scenes where any of us are possessed with the, with the white eyes, we are totally blind. <laughs> and that caused a few injuries because of that. And it was also, like, irritating, right? You're having this hard thing in your eye for long periods of time. You know, they tell you this is only, you can only wear this for about a minute and you can only take it in and out five times a day. But no way, there's no way that they, they were going to do that for this movie. It, they, it was in one of the coldest recorded winters at the time in Tennessee. And it's funny, it's like they moved to ten, they moved production to Tennessee to avoid the winter of Michigan. Don't you ever feel like life sometimes just like does shit to fuck with it's you? It's like a, a verse in Alanis Morissette's Ironic. <laughs> what? Alanis Morissette's Ironic. The song. You said a bunch of words I don't recognize. Oh, it's it's a music thing. An old man turned 98 You on the lottery And died the next day It's a black it's a death row pardon two minutes too late and isn't it ironic don't you think but no the actors suffered a lot to make this movie. yeah the um, the corn syrup and the makeup and and the contact lenses and all of that there there was a, a phrase that they used on set for when okay we're at our limit you know they called it the latex point the point where you've been put through so much you have all this shit on you you need a break ellen completely wigged out one night she doesn't remember it at all yeah just which we termed thereafter is called the latex point where you've had too much latex on for too long and all of a sudden you just go insane you go completely and with with fake contact lenses in as well and she just she completely wigged just tore the makeup off ah! It went completely insane. That was as much shooting as you could do with her that night. And sometimes Sam Raimi would just, oh, they're angry. Let's use that for the next take. And they would give an unhinged performance because they want to kill Sam Raimi at that point. I can't blame them. Right. And honestly, I think in retrospect, Sam's like, oh, yeah, they probably had very good reason to do so. <laughs> he's He's lucky that he's... His uh, nice side is is so nice, I guess. Maybe it's all maybe it's all a ruse. They said that he was, you know, I mean, he was an ambitious, young, dumb filmmaker. Like, and I don't mean dumb in a really bad sense, but he's a young guy. Like, come on, we we're both guys, Austin. Mm -hmm. We both we both know how dumb we can each be, mm -hmm. especially, uh, especially when we were in our twenties. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He had just turned twenty, so he was still technically like nineteen-ish in the brain. You know, or like fifteen in um, the brain. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly, guys. We're a few years behind, <laughs> so he might have been technically twenty. He was still fifteen. I know that's the case with me, at least. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, he was a nice, he was a nice guy and he, uh, he was really funny. And I mean, you know, like he wasn't a, like yelling at them or, and well, he was yelling at them in some of the, like, you know, when you're, you're directing, sometimes you yell. Um, but I don't know. It, but it wasn't, it never felt like it was abusive or it never seemed like it was abusive. Like the women are still being interviewed to this day. Like the documentary we watched, they were talking about the film and they acknowledged that some shitty things went down, but overall they're happy with it. And Sam has obviously grown since then. So, yeah. Uh, something I wanted to talk about that you mentioned earlier was the cinematography. Yeah. This movie implemented some pretty cool uh, techniques that would be copied by big Hollywood productions and would still be used to this day. One of them being like the shaky cam. So when you were talking, when you were summarizing the story, there's like sequences in the film where it's almost like we're in the POV of the evil dead, the book of the dead, which goes back to something that's unique about the film. Not many times do we get the POV of like an essence or of like a ghost almost. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there's POV. POV has existed in horror films. Right, like... Michael Myers, mm -hmm, Jason. Exactly. But this was a very almost... This was... This put a, a unique spin on it because the camera goes... Moves in really fast. It takes a few steps backwards. It really feels like you're in the perspective of someone. But, but something that is, like, un, like unnatural. Like, something... And it it feels... It feels evil. I don't know... That sounds that sounds really cheesy, but like it it feels like this thing is is up to no good. <laughs> it runs really quickly. It's kind of voyeuristic when it's looking through the mirrors. It's violent and almost oppressive when it like crashes through the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is all from the perspective of the, the perspective of the Evil Dead, which we revisit multiple times through the film. Obviously, the movie starts off with it. There's the POV of Shelley under uh of shelly underneath the the trap door where it's my favorite cheryl scene. why does she why does she keep making those horrible noises <laughs> we get the pov of scott destroying she uh shelly mm -hmm. um you know like where the blood goes over the camera so the movie has a strong creates a strong identity with the evil dead with the the essence mm -hmm. right and it does those through POV shots. And one of the most iconic POV shots that they have is the shaky cam. Now, when they're running through the woods, that was actually created by having a plank of wood and putting the camera in the middle. So you've got the two. So you've got you could either have two people holding each side or you could have one person kind of holding both ends and they would just run and sprint. And it gave them a lot of control to like tilt and and pan and rotate in all different angles that were unnatural and like, oh, we're going to fly in between these branches because we can, you know, and it's floating over the, the <laughs> pond, you know, and it's so unique that other people have done it, right? Yes, absolutely. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. This movie takes a known horror thing but it puts its own unique spin on it because we had seen povs before it does it so much better than the other times that i've i've seen it right like uh, in the documentary watched uh, edgar wright talks about how he saw bram stoker's dracula and was like coppola you stole that from the evil dead sometimes you watch horror movies and the camera's crazy and you go what the fuck is this i can't follow what the hell's going on this is a mess but Raimi had such control of the camera work. He really, really used it to be from the point of view of these demons and spirits. You're just watching and thinking, you know, not only have I not seen that in a big Hollywood studio film, you know, that shot, but like, this is like, you know, 
a 20-year-old doing this. Every other person did the point of view kind of in that kind of way, and you'd seen it been ripped off in countless worse versions, and you'd seen it being ripped off by bigger directors. I remember when I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula, I was thinking, he's fucking Nick that from Evil Dead. How could Coppola do that? How cheap. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, they did, and it didn't look as good. <laughs> but when the Evil Dead does it, when Sam Raimi does it, when he did it for, like, five seconds in Doctor Strange 2, it's <laughs> it, it has me. It has me. I love that so much. You know, you have these big Hollywood productions trying to replicate the same thing. But all it took was a piece of wood, a, some four screws, uh, a camera plate, and a camera, and just someone who can run really fast. <laughs> was it Sam Raimi that was running? I think in a few he was, yes. And it's not just for show again. Like I mentioned earlier, it's voyeuristic. You're seeing them through the windows. Uh, I think you see like, I think you see Shelly's, I think you see Shelly and Scott naked. Well, they're not naked. They're just like undressing. They're undressing. Yeah, they're undressing. So the POV angle is used very effectively in this movie. Now, as as you and I know, Austin, Mm -hmm. or or as as, as film people, we know that 50% of the movie is visuals. The other 50% is sound. Sound is very important. And what we were just talking about, right, the use of that camera movement, the reason it feels very evil is part of it's because of the camera movement, but it's also because of the audio. Mm -hmm. While it's happening, while the camera's, like, moving through, you obviously have the sound of the woods, like the, you know, the, the woods and the branches kind of, close by the camera but you also have like this very subtle like you know like this breathing and you'll have like the evil dead the essence like like almost it's they they almost gave it like vocal like a sound like a voice Mm -hmm. you know like there are certain times like when cheryl runs back into the cabin she's trying to open the door but then like ash lets her in the you could hear like the evil dead like (laughs) and go back It feels alive. talking about why does it feel so alive why does it feel like a character even though it's a ghost it's you know an evil entity but it feels very much alive those are the things the camera movie and the camera movement and the sound the sound of the of someone going oh (laughs) or you know like the the shallow just like oh you know it's corny it's cheesy but it fucking works. Yeah, you, you, you gotta admire the craft of it all. Like, I feel like if you're someone who likes movies even a little bit, like, you can admire the craft in the making of those those scenes. And it's suitable that one of the most iconic things about the movie, right, the camera work, is what essentially ends the film, right? Because as Ash steps out, you think he's he's safe. You have one last shot. From the from the essence perspective, 
just going through the entire house at full speed and it just heads for Ash and it goes into his mouth. He's like, ah! <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think that was such a cool, unique take on cinematography when it came to horror films, right? That a lot of people wouldn't even think about. Most horror films, you you unless there's an actual killer or pr- like a killer, you don't really get their perspective too much. Or if it is, it's like very straightforward. Like it's not really done creatively. Uh, something I did want to talk about were the actual effects. Mm-hmm. The prosthetics. The effects, you know, we, we've talked about the makeup, you know, how some of it hasn't aged up, but some, some of the effects are really good and they still give me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, so people do get decapitated. Fingers get smashed. People get plumaged to death. Wait, uh, wait plumaged? Yeah. Isn't that what, like with the axe? Isn't that the right... Is that the ad- is that the verb or is dismembered? This the- well, I don't know. I was just thinking plumage because it's just like you're whacking someone to death. But I guess dismembered is the right word. <laughs> People get fucked up on. <laughs> People get so fucked That's- up you have to invent new words to describe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I pummeled. Pummeled. Isn't yeah, pummeled pum- is a word. Pummeled, but isn't that's a word? Yes. Pum. What did I you say? Said plumaged. Oh, yeah, no, I made a whole different <laughs> word. Maybe I'm using a different word that makes no sense. <laughs> but no, people get fucked up, and boy, does it look gnarly. Like, yeah, some of it still doesn't really look as grimy, but you also have to understand that 80s were a different time, people weren't used to it, and some of them still look really good. When Cheryl stuck the pencil in the Yes, Linda. that that scene is, oof. Ooh-wee. <laughs> and you know what? What makes it worse for me, the actual effect looks pretty good, right? But I think it's the idea yes. of a pencil going into an Achilles, Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it work. It's the, it's sometimes you don't show the injury, but sometimes even if you show the injury, like I'm actually looking at it, I can still picture it in my mind, the damage that that pencil is doing to the foot. Right. And that's what makes it worse. Right. And I, I think there's something that's, because it's a pencil right we've all like poked ourselves with a pencil you know we know how that feels we don't really know how a knife feels unless we've actually been stabbed right Mm -hmm. so i i think there's something like psychologically that that goes on when we see the thing that's hurting them is a pencil hurting that's the thing that's stabbing linda is a pencil and we know how that feels it's something interesting that goes on psychologically, I think. I remember uh, watching, like, there's, like, those uh, wrestling death matches, right? And, like, you've always, you always see wrestlers get hit with a chair, right? I don't, I've mm-hmm. never been hit by a chair. I don't know what that feels like. But when they use, like, a thumbtack. Ooh. <gasps> oh, no. Mick Foley. Yeah, Mick Foley. Mick Foley would, he would always get fucked up with thumbtacks. Or, or even, I think somebody used Legos one time. <laughs> and it's still, like... <laughs> Oh, that that hurts. That I know what that feels like. Something about a familiar object that is an everyday object that we know what it feels like. We know the texture of it. It's it it just feels really visceral. And there's the fact that when she, the Shelley Deadite stabs Linda, she she like moves her hand around. So she's like, yeah, I'm gonna dig into all. Oh, this she's flesh. digging in it. That's right. Ugh. I'm so happy you said that because one of the grossest kills that I cannot rewatch is the one from John Wick 2 with the pencil in the second one. Like, 
John Wick 2 has the kill where he he literally kills a guy with a pencil. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like seeing that. I'm fine with seeing everybody get shot, get stabbed, get dragon breathed. <laughs> like, I, like, you know, getting sorted up. I don't mind those. But once he brought in the pencil, I was like, oh, no. I don't like that at all. I... I like John Wick too. I don't like that scene. I have to like turn away. And I think it goes to what you were saying. That psychologically, I know what a pencil feels like. Heck, I've accidentally stabbed myself with a pencil. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I think a lot of the popularity from this movie came from how notorious it was, right? It was X-rated. It was NC-17. Some places banned it. And people were talked about the effects. Oh, it's gory. You know, this movie tells you up front, like, the only way you could defeat this evil is by doing the dismemberment thing, like dismembering them. Usually films will give you a cop out. It's like, well, you can either kill them or you could feed it some some McDonald's. And once it eats, what? I don't know, something like they'll give you a they'll they'll give you an either or. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you could either kill the evil entity or you could feed it McDonald's. <laughs> and you have to choose and the characters were like oh i gotta feed at mcdonald's but here it's like nope you can't undo it you gotta kill them you gotta dismember them and that leads to a lot of what happens in the movie which is like the, a lot of the gore so if you hear that you're like oh man i heard this movie's kind of jarring and you see what happens in the movie it's like oh shit they went for it i'm surprised that the the chainsaw doesn't come into play in this one at all right it doesn't he just pulls it off of the wall it's because the evil dead 2 is is like they're like the same movie almost like the evil dead 2 is more funny and this one is not like meant to be funny but it still is funny and he takes out the chainsaw to cut up linda but he just can't do it because it was it was his girlfriend he loves her so he's like he sees the necklace sees the necklace i love how that necklace comes back at the end to check off his necklace Chekhov's cellar door. Chekhov's necklace. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he puts it away and you never get that chainsaw until the second one where it becomes like a part of the, like when people draw fan art of Ash, they got to give him the chainsaw. Yeah. It's interesting. That's actually some an interesting point that you're bringing up is how this first movie is so different from the iconography that the evil dead has, like that the evil dead has. If that makes sense. Because if we're thinking about what makes the evil that iconic, right? It's the chainsaw. It's the boomstick, the shotgun. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the Ash quips. saying... Huh? The quips? Like, the quips. Oh, groovy. Hail you know? to the king, baby. It's, it's the humor. And rewatching this movie, it's like almost none of that stuff's in this movie. Like the chainsaw is only reference. It's not used. Yeah, they have a gun, but it's not really like a staple, you know, like they'll just use it a few times. He isn't, Ash isn't really laughing or, you know, quipping. He's mostly distressed. Why are you torturing me like this? You know, (laughs) I just, I think it's so interesting how the evil dead has like, is known in pop culture. But when you go back to this first original one, it doesn't, it has almost nothing in common with what we know as the evil dead in pop culture, right? It just, it really has just the trap door and Ash Williams. Ashley Williams. I just think that's so fascinating, right? Kind of how that image of the evil dead kind of shifted from this original one to the second one. And how the second one is, 
is like just a retelling of this, but like with less college kids going to the cabin and more obvious funnies. Yeah, that was when he when he starts freaking out in the cabin. I don't think I've actually seen the entirety of the Evil Dead. I've just seen clips. And when he's in the cabin and he's freaking out, I saw the deer head. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the deer head that's going to laugh at him. But that doesn't happen in this one. I was waiting yeah. for it. I'm like, wait, what? It's like uh, Friday the 13th. The, the killer in Friday the 13th is Jason's mom. And he doesn't get the hockey mask until the third one. Oh, yeah. But but see, exactly. But every, but Jason, it's Friday the, it's Friday the 13th. It's Jason, you know? Mm-hmm. Hockey mask machete. It's, mm-hmm. That was something that they mentioned in, in, in Scream. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if, I mean, I feel like we're going to be referencing Scream a lot. It's funny that we did these both very close to each other. Yeah. And in, in, in um, between, there's Casablanca. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Go check out those episodes. They're really great. I love our evil, our Scream one. Our Scream one is great. And our Casablanca is just like, man, it was great revisiting the classic like that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a plug for our podcast. Yeah, you're listening to our podcast. Expect that we plug our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, I think one of the last things I wanted to touch on uh, in terms of story is the rape scene. Like, mm-hmm. we, we got to talk about it, right? Uh, because I think it's, I think story-wise, it's the one thing that has not aged well. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it has. I think everything else, you know, I'll, the technical, some of the technical things, I'll give a pass, 100%. I don't care. I don't care that the makeup looks the way it does. The intention is there and the execution is still there. The rape scene is very odd. And I understand it's meant for shock value. You are seeing people that are distressed, that are being tortured, dismembered. Horrible things happen in horror films, right? Wes Craven said it best. You know, when he was fighting the MPAA on screen, he's like, horror movies are about people doing horrible things to each other. Now, in this case, it's an evil dead Necronomicon, Book of the Dead, evil essence, doing horrible things. I understand that. I just don't think we had to go to forest tree rape mm-hmm. to to convey that you know what i mean yeah and and i want to say look i'm not if if for whatever reason you like the scene if you like the movie as is that's totally okay like i'm not against that i just i think we should just critically relook at some of these things and like all right what is it achieving and how is it portrayed and i'm not opposed for filmmakers and creatives to to put i'm not against them putting rape in a movie i'm not but I feel like if you're going to go down that route, you got to have a really fucking good reason why, you yeah. know, like just don't just put it in there randomly. Right. And I and I'll say this. I don't think Sam Raimi had that intention. I don't think that's the case at all. But I can very easily see a young man going in wanting to push the limits and not and putting a scene like that in purely for shock value. Mm hmm. I can totally 100% see that. I just don't think it holds up that well. Yeah. And there's a little bit about how the the actress, uh, Ellen Sandweiss, uh, she did not know that was going to happen. She she knew that the trees were going to attack her, but she didn't know like to what length the trees were going to attack her. Mm-hmm. And then when they went to the premiere and everything, she was with her parents. And then... You know, th- there's that one shot where, like, in case you had any ideas or doubts about what's happening, 
there will be no doubt after this one shot, right? Let's get it all out in the open. I was 20 years old. Let's just start with that, okay? I was very gung-ho to make this film. Um, I wanted to do what the director told me. I didn't really think anybody was ever going to see this movie. You know, big surprise now. But um, And uh, I did have concerns that I talked about with Sam. And he somehow convinced me there's going to be a lot of fog. You're not going to really see anything. You know, don't worry about it. So I'm going, okay, fine, fine. We did that scene, you know, I, exhaustion doesn't even describe. I, I was running in my nightgown. It was 40 or less degrees. Um, I was running through woods, you know, just brambles, and there was no paths or anything just running and running nonstop, getting hurt. And I just kind of got to the point where, okay, fine, just do what you need to do so we can get this over with. The one big twig is is, is uh, wrong on so many levels. The, that final, uh, really, I had no idea they were gonna do that. I, I mean, obviously I knew that the legs were gonna spread open and that the, the vines were gonna crawl up, but that final with the stick was all post-production, I had no idea until I saw it, and I went. And of course, at the premiere, you know, with my mother there, and that was fun. Obviously, she was shocked by it. She was like, that's not what, I didn't know that they were, that he was going to do that. Her parents were there, and then they had like a, like a friend of the parents, and then the friend came up and said something like, Oh, the things that our children do to us or something. And I think after that premiere, I think I think there was a bit of a of a she kind of distanced herself from Sam Raimi for a bit. I don't know if it was because of that scene specifically, but there were years where she didn't really like talk to the the people that made the film, like Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell and all them. I think there was a period where she was kind of embarrassed by the Evil Dead, because there was a, a pretty big gap between uh, the Evil Dead and her next film. Um, and I one one article s- said that there was like an apology from Sam Raimi to her about that whole thing. And, you know, she'll she'll talk about it now about how I didn't know that was going to happen. But you know, it is what it is. I'm I'm older now. I can look back on these things and laugh and stuff. So, you know, it's it's a it's a like a, a ugly blemish I think on the, on the film that I don't like. Like everything else is is fine. I'm fine with it. Just like it just feels like you did. You're you're trying to push the envelope and didn't really care about um, the 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 unintended consequences. Yes, I love what you said. The unintended consequences. Because look, I like raunchy humor. I like dark humor. I like, uh, I, I, you know, I love these movies, right? Where people are absolutely getting torn apart, right? With pencils and axes and chainsaws, right? I like all this stuff. But sometimes we can't help but wonder the unintended consequences of what we're showing. A joke can be funny. That is super, super offensive. It can be. But sometimes we do have to pull back and wonder, maybe did that go a little too far? Or maybe was that, what kind of unintended consequences are a part of this? 
And I think it's just a good thing to reflect on that. I'm not saying don't push the boundaries. Sure, push the boundaries if you feel like you can do it. This movie would still been gratuitous without it. You could have done something very different with the branch. You, you actually, you could have. You like, did a lot like, already. Yeah, the the whole setup to it is is pretty good. It's just like it goes it goes too far into a into way. a kind of real place, you know. Yes, y- yes, it goes into a real place because, and that's I think what made me uncomfortable because like the branches are like wrapping around her legs and then like they spread her legs apart, right? And just the way she's acting too. I mean, you want to talk about performance? That was a really uncomfortable moment. Yeah, because she was selling it, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh my god, this feels way too close." Like this just feels, you know, like it feels a little too natural for something that's supposed to be, yeah, kind of out there because it's an evil presence Mm -hmm. it it was just really odd and it was just so like and it went on for a while too i i'm not i like if it's purely for shock value you succeeded sure but to what end right Mm -hmm. and it's an image that people still recall that people still feel uncomfortable and it has influenced other films the evil dead the remake they're like, you got to have that that tree rape scene. Why? Because it's in the first one. It's like, yeah, but shouldn't we move past it? Some things don't age well. No, no, no. You got to have it in there because the fans will say, will, will shout if you don't have it in there. And then you have a bunch of fans that when you do try to make a conscious decision of keeping it out, fans are like, ah, oh, well, it's that woke shit. Oh, yeah. you're, you're trying to be, you're trying to make Evil Dead PG. No, you got to have that rape scene. It's like, really? Is that? Is that all the evil that is? I'm just... It's so much more than that, which is... It's, it's so much more than that. Which is why I, I, I will willingly rewatch this movie. I will willingly go see the the Evil Dead rise and everything. Because everything else around it is just so good and so artful and yes. so well made. And here's the, th- here's the funny thing. What is the Evil Dead? Because like I mentioned earlier... <laughs> Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness are very different movies from this one. In fact, it, the Evil Dead has like some of the worst tonal consistency ever. <laughs> the, franchi- the Evil Dead, the franchise. Uh-huh. You you want to check me on that? This movie, you've got Ash acting like a little bitch. I'm sorry, like just to put it bluntly, he is scared and helpless. And that boy barely survives. You could argue he doesn't survive at the end. Then you've got Evil Dead 2 where he literally has to chainsaw his own hand and he's shouting quips like quippy and stuff. You've got Army of Darkness where he goes back in time to the medieval era. And he's got, <laughs> he's got, he's a, got a chainsaw with him. Or he's got a shotgun and a chainsaw for like a right hand. Then you've got... Dude, the then you've the got ending the, of that movie too is... <laughs> where is it the the, gross, the the appliance store or whatever? Well, I, I haven't seen Army oh, of Darkness. Uh, okay, of well the ending is... Or Army of Darkness. The sorry. ending plays very much like a wacky superhero thing. Like the like the the final tag, where he's like back in present day. It's just it's it's really fun, but it's like you would never see that kind of scene in this movie. Even talk about the remake, right? Mm-hmm. The this, the the twenty thirteen remake almost drops all comedy elements. I don't remember it being funny. And then you've got the new one, Evil Dead Rise, which seems to drop the comedy as well. And Ash versus the Evil Dead has all comedy and probably a bit of horror like what this what makes it evil dead and what does it is it the comedy is it ash is it the i I think the only one real thing is the some of the violence you know for people saying well it's not evil dead if it doesn't have that scene it's like i think you're wrong 
I agree with you, George. I think think the Evil Dead is so much more than that one scene. And I think in the end of the day, that scene was motivated by someone who wanted to be edgy. Which, again, I understand. As a young, stupid man, I wanted to be edgy. But after a certain point, you got to look back and be like, was it really necessary? I personally don't think it was. Right. The Evil Dead bothers me because of its violence. Yes. But also because you have people that need to commit horrendous acts of violence on people they love Mm -hmm. right from from the evil dead i've seen right or the two evil deads i have seen the original and the remake in this movie ash's sister dies they, they all die essentially in horrible ways and in the remake yeah it's a group of friends that are doing horrible things to each other right and the demons are taunting them singing nursery rhymes yeah they're they're and, forced to do horrible things to each other it's they're forced to do horrible things to each other and to themselves mm-hmm. right even ash and the girl from the remake have to chainsaw their own hands so it's extreme violence on a very personal level that's what the evil dead is for me and so and like evil dead rise you know it's a sister that's tormenting her family you know her sister and and her children i believe right yeah, or committing acts of hor- horrendous violence mm-hmm. on each on her family. I, that to me is what the Evil Dead is. So, look, I I don't think we're ever. I don't think a lot of people are ever gonna really agree on that rape scene. I don't think people are ever gonna agree on just that as a topic. Yeah, isn't that sad that as a society we can't agree on on that act alone? Yeah, on that violence. Like it's because there's there's so many other like cool things about the movie, and like I think some people can't understand that like yeah we can still like the thing but have have a problem with it you know yeah the two we can we're feelings are complex just because one thing doesn't hold up doesn't mean that we're saying now i got to the whole thing in the bin you know if fucking austin if anything we're encouraging people to go watch this movie (laughs) you and i started this episode by saying yeah go go watch the movie we like it a lot yeah so it's not even that it's we're encouraging people to go watch the new one but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that rape scene did not bother me because right. it did. Right. And and I don't think the film justified the existence of that alone. There is even that guy in the documentary who kind of gave off the like, yeah, this is before PC culture ruined everything. <laughs> even he yeah. was like, I don't really understand the point of that scene. I like it, but I don't really know how it makes sense with the story. <laughs> I loved the uh, rape by the forest scene, even though I can't really tell you how the rape by the forest relates to the rest of the story or why the zombies would somehow be related to a raping forest. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He, he even said it himself. And but even he kind of like identified some kind of like issue with it, even though he would yeah. he would never be caught dead saying that was too much for me. You know, <laughs> he, yeah. he would never say he, he something says like he that. likes to see. He said he likes to see, but he's like, I don't really understand yeah. why it's there, though. And I think if you're a real hardcore horror enthusiast and you just love seeing violence enacted on people and you you can very easily separate real life from fake and you you're, you're OK with that scene. OK, cool. That's cool. That's on you. I'm we're just sharing our opinions yeah. on it and I'm not saying it it's, from a uh, from a woke standpoint or I'm not saying it because I'm a snowflake or anything. 
I'm just saying what my initial visceral reaction mm-hmm. was to it. And I felt just weirded out by it. And it's uh, um, one last thing I'll say about it is that like, I love Hellraiser and Hellraiser ties in this, the sexual um, aspect of the, the, the Cenobites, but nothing they do ever feels as violating as, as the, the tree thing. Like there's something sexual in the way that the the chatterbox grabs um, the the main girl's face and has has his fingers in her mouth, but it doesn't make me feel as bad as it does in this movie. So I think you can play with ideas of of sexuality and horror in a way that's not as like tasteless. I don't know if Hellraiser is like the best example, but I don't know. It's no, I think Hellraiser is a great example in my opinion because. I think you're absolutely right. That's a horror movie that directly deals with sexual themes. Mm-hmm. Like it's inherent to the script. You know, I know it's. I know it wasn't the intention of um, of what's the author's name? Um, Clive Barker. Car- Clive Barker. I, I I get what you know. He talked about the inspiration, of like BDSM culture, and kind of potentially opening up people's uh, mind about sexual experiences and stuff. I get that was his intention, but if you would have told me that in Hellraiser, it's a movie about sexual themes and stuff, and they had a rape scene in there, I would not be surprised. The implementation of, of rape in that would make sense. I would say, I would say, okay, theoretically that makes sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't have it. It doesn't. It doesn't even get close to it. Right now, I've only seen the first two Hellraisers. I don't know what happens later on. If a movie that deals with that kind of area doesn't even touch it, I don't feel like the Evil Dead needed to. It needs to. Even Sam Raimi's like, he, when he was trying to justify the violence in this movie, even he had a hard time explaining that one. So yeah. I heard that when like Sam Raimi had to, you know, sort of was was taken to court and had to appear in court to kind of answer the sort of the, um, you know, the kind of the the claims against the film that he actually felt, afterwards felt kind of like, you know, that the tree rate was a mistake. And it's interesting in terms of like, it's obviously that the one bit's not repeated in the sequel or any of the other sequels. And um, it's definitely something that's really, you know, like the, the, the thing that still kind of is, is really, truly shocking out of the entire film. We like the movie, but yes. I mean, that's what we do here. We talk about the positives and the negatives, mm-hmm. so it's it's a tough thing to talk about but it's absolutely necessary because these are things that are still happening you know the the remake still did that scene now granted not as extreme but it still did and i felt like both of those movies could have been better without it it's it will it would have definitely been easier to revisit and easier to recommend and you know because when we yes. even when we did this episode we had to like warn people like hey there's a pretty graphic scene regarding sexual violence and yeah and that could that could fuck someone up you know yeah and and that's it and and i just the way some people online talk about this or the way people address these issues really insensitive and and the words that they use to woke uh snowflakes trigger it's just like why are we like using these words in in these ways like that's not it's not there's a lot of bad actors in the like influencer space right they they use those yeah. words to generate anger and you you have people who are angry about stuff already and they're like oh they're angry about the same things i'm angry about let's hate on these things together and it's it's really ugly it's it's an uncomfortable topic to address but 
we had to. And again, I, what does that say about the rest of the film that I still highly recommend it? You know, now again, if you have issues with that scene, I understand totally. Don't watch it, but if you could get past it and enjoy the rest of it, yeah, I think in the, it's, yeah. I think it's an, a high achievement in horror filmmaking, in indie filmmaking, um, and having something that's so popular and still has a cult status is amazing. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about how this movie was made. Okay, so this movie was made by Sam Raimi, you know, and his his uh, group of friends, really. Uh, Sam Raimi was somebody who loved film um, as as a child. He was really into comic books as a child, too. You know, that's why him directing Spider-Man was such a big deal. He was mostly into comedies. He would make a bunch of comedies with like a really low budget with his friends, Bruce Campbell and um, Rob Robert Tappert. Uh, they would make these films and eventually they got to a point where it's like, well, people only really like watching these comedies if we have like famous people and we have no famous people. So maybe maybe we'll try a horror movie Maybe we'll try like a possession movie that's like really bloody and stuff. And before they actually made The Evil Dead, they made a short film called Within the Woods, which I I think is really interesting because it was just like, I think 30 minute or something proof of concept film that was like, yeah. this is going to be the vibe of the evil dead. And you have, it's funny, you have like Bruce Campbell in it. You have Ellen, Sa- Ellen Sandweiss in it as well. And Ellen Sandweiss plays the sole survivor. Like in that movie, she survives and everybody else dies. In fact, Bruce Campbell is the first one to become a demon, a, a possessed guy. They shot it for sixteen hundred, and you know they impressed enough investors for them to to make the actual full length Evil Dead movie. Um, so they got, grabbed enough money to to shoot this film, hired some friends, had some other actors. I, I believe the actress who plays Shelley, her name is Teresa Tilly. She actually had to go by a different name, uh, Sarah York, because she was a SAG actress. She was in the Actors Guild. She's in a union. And, you know, when you're in a union, you are supposed to be paid your union fees, right? It's, it's there to protect the actors, right? So that they don't get taken advantage of. Well... Because she did this film, she was suspended from SAG for six months because she mm-hmm. violated the rules. But, you know, this film, I don't think that the the making of this film was like malicious or exploitative. But Sam Raimi had a vision and that vision was might have been outside the means of of his ability to to film it with the budget that he had and the resources that he had. But I I would say most of the people there really wanted to do the best they could. So I don't, because everybody's all good and chummy chummy now, it feels like, okay, it's, it. I don't feel like these, these performers were taken advantage of, even though they, they really were, right? Mm-hmm. Like the makeup guy says, the makeup that I put on their skin even said on the label, not to put on human skin. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. The the contacts that they had to wear were so uncomfortable. The there was no heating in the cabin that they you know like you when you do a movie you have like a trailer and then all the actors chill out over there. They didn't have that for this movie. They had like two shitty cabins and no heating. Here, you just had a fucking cabin, and you you had nothing else. That's how low budget it was. But I like to you emphasize that it didn't feel exploitative in the traditional sense it was just so low budget that it felt less of trying to take advantage of people and more of like trying to make ends meet which i think matters when we're talking about this stuff yes i i that's there's a huge difference between when disney doesn't want to pay for the special effects pay you know a competitor or they're trying to rush out their films that are on 200 million dollar budgets and you know, they have Disney money. They have, like, everybody should should be taken care of, right? Yes, I love that. There's a difference when Bob Iger is getting, when Disney doesn't want to play their VFX artist and Bob Iger is making, like, 20, 30 million. And there's, there's a difference between that and the Evil Dead. And something like Mad Max, too. Like, I, I think the, oh, yes. the way Mad Max was made and the way the Evil Dead was made, they're, they have a lot in common. Like, you know, a lot of favors were called in. A lot of people weren't being paid the competitive amount that they would be paid if they're working on like a, a big budget union uh, film, right? Mm-hmm. These are people that were there for the passion. And, you know, I think the films that we've done, right, we would never be able to to get SAG actors to come because we couldn't we couldn't even pay anybody for our student films, yeah. you know, which and, and to be fair. I wouldn't want to force a SAG actor to come on our set. You know, I wouldn't, if they're like, ah, I can't, that's not my rate. I'd completely understand. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, that's totally okay. Like, I get it. Like you are worth a certain amount. And if you don't want to, I get that. That's fine. Yeah. No hard feelings. Yeah. Um, But I love that example. That's the difference. That's why it doesn't feel exploitative. It, again, could it have been done better? Yes. But can Disney be doing better? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, they it was a really really hard shoot and things went like way too long they were supposed to be shooting for six weeks there was 12 weeks and then everybody had to go back to their normal lives right like (laughs) there comes to a, a point in the film where only seven people are there to like actually work on the movie i don't know if that influenced any of the story uh beats but it did help that that Ash was the only one alive, right? Because all the other actors had to leave. And they were still technically, you know, their zombie forms, right? But they had all that makeup on them. They could be shot from the back. So Sam Raimi had some people, like, come in and, okay, you're going to pretend to be Linda for this scene. Okay, my brother, my younger brother, Ted, uh, you're going to have to be this character now. And when you have an actor fill in for another character, you call that stand-in a fake shemp, which is a reference to the Three Stooges when one of the Stooges died, but they still were contractually obligated to finish four short films. They had this other guy come in and pretend to be shemp. <laughs> um, and Sam Raimi is was into comedy. He's really into the Three Stooges, so... He called them all fake shimps. I'm sure he got a real big kick out of that. Um, <laughs> and there's there were a lot of injuries that happened on set too. Uh, one 
I feel like Cheryl, or not Cheryl, Ellen, Ellen Sandweiss, who plays Cheryl. There's a scene where the, I think Scott is his name, right? Yeah, Scott. Scott Scott is like kicking her so that she falls into the cellar, right? But she's got the contacts on. She has to fall backwards, right? So she has to like guess where she's going to fall. And of course, you know, they're working long hours. They're uncomfortable. It's cold. All of that factors in. So she falls backwards, misses the hole, hits her head on the, I guess, the wood, right? And mm-hmm. she she falls a few times, and she doesn't always make the hole, at least. There's one time that's that's actually captured, like, on YouTube. Like, you can see her fall backwards. Oh, yeah, she hits her head. Yeah, and that, that, that looks really painful, right? And then there's another yeah. one where she says that she was, like, knocked out because she hit it so hard. Which sounds really, really scary. Like, especially knowing more about concussions now, that's that could that could have been really bad. There was a, a a scene where one of the the stand-in actors for Linda, when she's like, there's a point where Ash is burying Linda, right? And then Linda, she doesn't dismember her, right? So she's still like alive. She starts scratching his leg a bunch, right? And they, you know, they put all this stuff on his leg so that all a lot of blood can come out. So Sam Raimi's like, all right, keep scratching, keep scratching, keep going, keep going. And after they're done, um, Bruce Campbell recalls that, oh, there's a moment where that stand-in actress, she was like off alone by herself. And I had I went to go check on her and she was crying because she was in pain. And she showed me her hand and two of her fingernails were bent backwards because she was scratching so hard. And she didn't want to like cause a scene. So she she left to go cry in the corner, which sounds really, really bad, right? Especially now. Mm-hmm. But she really, really wanted to to be in the movie. So well, these are the things that you do when you're 20 years old making movies. With no money. With no money. There was another, there was another moment where uh, the actress, Betsy Baker, who actually plays Linda for most of the film, when she... When he drags her across the floor, her back wasn't protected, right? And it hurt really bad. And to prevent any more pain from coming to her, they're like, okay, we're going to duct tape this rug to your back so it doesn't hurt. And they did that, and it didn't hurt at all. She was like, oh, this is great. But then when it came time to take it off, she said it hurt worse than when (laughs) they dragged her across with no mat. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You already mentioned Bruce Campbell hurting his leg. And it wasn't even for like a scene. It was just him like excited that they got a shot and he's like running down the hill and then he steps on something wrong. And (laughs) poor, poor uh, Ellen Sandweiss when she's like running from the evil in the woods. She said that she like because they had put tracks down for the camera right so the camera can move relatively smoothly she ends up like stepping onto them and hurting herself and the she said that the crew found the tracks covered in blood and it was all hers from stepping on them and bleeding all over them yeah and just running at night like at that speed like with all those branches and stuff ooh, it's gnarly 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 stuff yeah so there's the some of the injuries i'm sure there's more because there was oh, i'm sure there's a ton that we don't know yeah 
Yeah. It's funny because they've talked in depth about the making of this movie, but I'm sure that's still scratching the surface. I, I still think there might be a lot that they're not saying. <laughs> probably, probably some fights that they don't want to remember or focus on. Yeah. I'm sure they all had a mouthful with Sam. I'm Except sure. Except probably like Bruce because they were like friends. Well, yeah, but I think Bruce Campbell, they he had stake in this movie, right? He had yeah. to. Well, he was a producer as well. He was a producer, yeah. but he also had to like ask his parents for money. And I think they yeah. they filmed some of the scenes at his at his parents' cabin, right? So yeah. he he was like fully invested. He couldn't leave, right? So I I feel like maybe him and Sam, you know, because they're such close friends, they probably had the worst fights, right? Oh, uh, potentially. Because you can yeah, push maybe. this guy further because he has to be there, right? Well, and it's also like because they're close. Mm-hmm. You can push each other even further because it's like I know his breaking point. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like you know fucking with his leg when he's clearly injured. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is which is funny, but it's also like damn, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, but um, man, there's two wild things that I found out about it. One, I we talked about the POV camera breaking the glass window. Mm-hmm. That was a real glass window. No. Yeah, that was a real glass window that they broke through. Jesus. So there was glass all over the floor. And like the actors, some of them are barefoot. They had to be real fucking Ugh. careful with that. I don't. I didn't hear about any injuries, but that is dangerous as fuck. Especially for the people holding the camera too. Oh so, my god. And the other thing that's way more concerning. This was, this was a red flag. This was like, you cannot fucking do that. Mm-hmm. If I saw Sam Raimi today, even though I'm a big fan, I'd be like, you fucked up with this man. You got lucky, but this was a big no-no. Potentially, this is even worse than the rape scene. Mm -hmm. In the movie, there's the scene where, uh, who is it? There's one of the zombies, I keep saying zombies, but there's one of the deadites outside the window. Ash goes to the window and shoots, right? Mm -hmm. He runs, she, like, Cheryl, I think, goes through the window breaks through it and then runs over runs outside and then ash follows her he points the gun at her and he shoots Mm -hmm. that was a real live round oh my god that was real ammunition and he pointed it at her like in in the direction that she was in now obviously the actress cheryl like quickly went around the corner but as we know using live ammunition is a big no-no now and with the small crew and how young and stupid they were the fact that they even thought it was a good idea, I was like, no, that just no. Yeah, that's bad. I, I that's a that's a hard pass for me. Like that's a one thing that I read. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Again, because look, sometimes live ammunition needs to be used for whatever reason, and there's like a Hollywood crew there. Okay, sure, hope for the best, right? But we've seen that go down south in multiple situations. Now you've got a bunch of young people doing that. No, fuck no. Yeah, just, wild. That part hasn't aged well. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, so, is there anything else you want to talk about while they're making it? No, not while they're making it, no. I think the interesting part's when they finished it. So, after the film's all wrapped up, right? Like, you had to film it way longer than was originally planned. 
They're editing the they, film. They filmed a lot of scenes later, like with the fake shemps, but also like the basement scenes were all done in other build in other houses that did have basements because the cabin did not. They had to build that little trap door. Yeah. But they had to film all the basement scenes later on in different people's cabins <laughs> and basements and stuff. So it took months to finish actually making the film. And the final budget is roughly between 300000 to 500000 Jeez. From the original 100000 that they had to start off with. Yeah. And then there's that, that like stop motion effect where like the, the deadites are like decomposing because the Book of the Dead was burned. Um, and then they had somebody edit it. And the assistant editor was Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. Like mm-hmm. Big Lebowski, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Fargo. Like Joel Cohen, technically, you know, does he have a credit on The Evil Dead? I don't know. I haven't checked the IMDb. Yeah, he, he does on IMDb. Assistant film editor, Joel Cohen. Oh, there it is. Joel Cohen. <laughs> That's so... Well, and... and- What's interesting is Cohen, the Cohen brothers and Sam Raimi would go on to work together. Like Sam Raimi actually appears in one of their films. Sam Raimi directs a montage in one of their films. And I think he directed a movie that they or I don't remember, but they've been they've worked together in the in after this. They have a good relationship with each other. Yeah, that's that's really cool. The film premieres in 1981 at a theater that's local to to Sam Raimi and and his group of friends. I guess they're from the Detroit area. So they have this big premiere. Some people come by and check it out and the film, you know, they're they're trying to like get their movie to be on as many screens as possible, right? So the the event is kind of like a let's like go go big or go home, right? They they like have tuxedos. They like apparently they rented out an ambulance so that when people come to see this movie oh by the way it wasn't called the evil dead it was called oh it was called book of the dead which mm-hmm. which is kind of a terrible name very generic <laughs> very generic so they they have their premiere they're in their little tuxes they have ambulances rented out because oh my god it's so scary who's gonna need the ambulance you know it's <laughs> marketing um and it catches the attention of a producer, Irvin Shapiro, who also worked with G- George A. Romero, you know, who who's done The Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, those movies, like the godfather of the zombie films. But apparently he's also done pl- publicity for movies like The Battleship Potemkin. Isn't that wild? Like the same. Oh, shit. <laughs> the Battleship that, Potemkin. That's an old, old school Russian film. Yes, it's, it's one of those films that if you've, taken a course or if you've studied film like you've seen the the famous odessa steps where like there's a montage of this massacre that's happening on these steps there's like a baby in a carriage that's involved that's just narrowly dodging all the chaos and everything anyway he sees the movie he's in his mid-70s at the time and he's like hmm he's quoted as saying well it's not exactly gone with the wind (laughs) <laughs> but i think we can make some money with this uh so he um helps get this movie to can and um can is where you have somebody like stephen king see it and he says it's the most ferociously original horror movie of the year so if you have stephen king say that about a movie that's gonna get a lot of attention 
So they put that on the poster, but also Irvin Shapiro had a problem with the movie. He said, you're going to have to change the name because if it's called the Book of the Dead, people are going to think they're going to have to read for 90 minutes. So uh, Bruce Campbell in this article from Detroit News, he says, you know, uh, coming up with names like Blood Flood, 101% Dead, silly stuff. And Irving, he says, why not the Evil Dead? And they're like, that sounds stupid. And he's like, well, we're going to call it Evil Dead. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the one that's that's like giving you a wide release. We're going to call it the Evil Dead. It cuts to the chase. There's evil people and there's dead people. And then he gave us the harsh reality of sales. He couldn't sell Book of the Dead, but he could sell the Evil Dead. And the Evil Dead is what screened at Cannes. Stephen King sees it. You know, excellent marketing. Yeah. And and also, just to let people know, it's not Cannes the Film Festival. That's where, like, the prestigious art house, you know, top creme de la creme of cinema is. That's not the Cannes that this movie went to. The Cannes that this movie went to was, like, the back streets. <laughs> of France where like anyone can get their movie made where it's just a bunch of like low lives and stuff like that that's how it was described in the documentary but yeah very different con from like the oh I'm sophisticated wee wee (laughs) Uh, Stephen King gives his praise goes on to attract bigger investors it gets a release in the US and the UK and it makes $3 million during its box office run. Like, not a lot of money. But considering it, it was a $500,000 investment, that is like, what, six times the investment? You made six times yeah. your money? Like, for every dollar you spent, you got back six? When it landed on VHS, that was when it got, like, its notoriety. Uh, the documentary we watched made it seem like this movie was so popular that people would steal it. <laughs> because they didn't want to yeah. give it back to the, the rental uh, place. And, you know, the rest is history, you know? The, the people... Well, th- there is a... Hmm? I'm sorry, go for it. No, you, you go first. Well, it's interesting because once it goes to home release, uh, it starts... So when it's playing in theaters, you know, it plays for in small theaters. They're trying to get it pu- pu- uh, distributed for two years, and, and they get it wide release in 1983 the problem is the movie started having a really bad reputation i mean people horror fans liked it but it was intense but people in the government in various governments did not like it they gave it an x rating right which is what today we consider the nc-17 which is typically given for movies that deal in heavy sexual manners heavy sexual themes but this was given to evil dead because of the violence but this movie had a reputation in England, in Britain. Do you remember Edgar Wright talking about it? Mm, he called it something like a video, video nasty. nasty. What is that? So apparently video nasty is a term that they use over in the United Kingdom. And this is what it says. Video nasty is a colloquial term popularized by the National Viewers and Listeners Association in the United Kingdom. To refer to a number of films, typically low-budget horror or exploitation films, distributed on video cassette that were criticized for their violent content by the press, social commentators, and various religious organizations in the early 1980s. These video releases were not brought before the British Board of Film Classification 
due to a loophole in film classification laws that allowed videos to bypass the review process. That means that this movie wasn't rated for a long time. Mm. And there was like a huge public concern. Like a lot of people were worried about some of the movies that were coming out in cassette, like Cannibal Holocaust, you know, um, The Axe, A Bay of Blood, Beast in Heat, Bloodfest. And the thing about these uh, video nasties, right, is that there was essentially a list and uh, the DPP list of video nasties was first made public in 19, in June 1983. And, you know, they had three different classifications. The section one were for prosecuted films. <laughs> two prosecuted. Non-prosecuted. Yeah. Not section two, non-prosecuted prosecuted films. And the third one is video nasties, right? So essentially, let me read it to you. The DPP list is divided into two sections, section one and section two. Any title seized under section one would make the dealer or distributor liable to prosecution for dis- disseminating obscene materials. Dealers could be fined or jailed and the film itself would be declared obscene if the prosecution was successful, meaning it could not be distributed or sold in the UK under the obscenity until the obscenity was squashed. Wow. Right. And some of these films were Absurd, Axe, A Bay of Blood, The Beast in Heat, Bloodfest, Blood Rites, Bloody Moon, The Burning, Cannibal Apocalypse, Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Holocaust. A lot of cannibal movies. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it, I Spit on Your Grave, The Last House on the Left, The West Craven one. Mm hmm. Section 2 titles were liable to be confiscated under a less obscene charge, which allowed the police to seize a film they considered obscene. And as long as the dealer cooperated, they legally admit that the articles were obscene and therefore escape any personal prosecution. And some of these films were The Beyond, The Boogeyman, Cannibal Terror, Contamination, Death Trap, Delirium. And this is where The Evil Dead Lands, originally passed with cuts for cinema, released with approximately two minutes cut in 1990, re-released uncut in 2001. But at the time, it was also considered Video Nasties. So Video Nasties is a supplementary list that was issued along with the official list, which featured a Section 3 Video Nasties. And what this section had was these films could not be prosecuted for obscenities, but were liable to seizure and confiscation under less obscene charges. Tapes seized under Section 3 could be destroyed after distributors or merchants forfeited them. Some of these movies are like... You know, not as bad as others, but still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you should keep an eye on them. This includes Dawn of the Dead, directed by George George A. Romero. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part two. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes. It, it, it's a long list. Suspiria, The Thing, John Carpenter. Which mm-hmm. you should go check out our episode on The Thing. Pretty fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So you had these different classifications, but it basically said like you're liable for prosecution if you're if we deem it too obscene. That's crazy. That's fucking wild. And you know why? You know what it reminds me of? What? Fucking scream. Oh yeah. Now here in America, we don't have that. We don't have the DPP, or we don't have video. Like nasty, Wes Craven couldn't have gone to jail for scream. But yes, Sam Raimi could have gone to jail for Evil Dead. Potentially, like he had to go and make a guess. He had to go to court. They talk about it in the documentary and they were playing scenes of the movie in front of him saying, how do you explain this? 
and you know he had to cut down on some of the scenes to get this theatrical distribution but they also played the, the infamous rape scene which is kind of where he really started feeling bad about you know like kind of whether he he, he pushed it too far mm-hmm. but it, it was just it reminded me of scream and kind of the troubles that they had to make it right yeah with like the people involved it reminded me of well actually it reminds me of the last two movies we've talked about oh yeah a, a casablanca Scream and casablanca because remember casablanca they had to deal with the haze code and then we talked about that stupid fuck what's his name joseph brown joseph Breen. Breen. yeah it this directly times into scream because of west of the troubles west craven had to go through to get that movie made and how he had to like and how scenes from scream were used to to potentially explain why uh copycat killers acted the way they did you know they played scenes of the movie in in courtrooms right Mm -hmm. it's that same kind of behavior and this reminds me of casablanca because then you had the haze code that happened during that time and how it was enforced by this stupid fucker joseph green (laughs) who was a good catholic boy turns out he was cool with nazis yeah yeah people like him were in charge of enforcing these censorships Saying you can't have this and you can't have that because I deem it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I'm and I'm I, I didn't look too deeply into the video nasties, so I don't know if there are any Nazi sympathizers there. <laughs> but that's so stupid, and it keeps happening. It's just people keep saying like, "This is obscene. This is obscene," and it's like, "Is it is it gross? Yeah, sure, you could say that, but is it <sighs> is it like? I don't think it's hurting like the people that watch it, except maybe like upsetting them. But I don't think yes. it's like making its audiences like i don't know attack people or or stuff you know i think Uh, that some i think maybe some movies can incite violence right like you can make a movie for the purpose of inciting violence i don't think that would be the evil dead casablanca or scream like i don't think those incite violence but yes I don't know. Some of the movies that come from those like morality police, I feel like some of those things are made to incite violence. Like there's that yes. one filmmaker who makes all those like weird like conspiracy documentaries that I think if the wrong person sees those movies, they might be motivated to take action to like quote unquote save their country. You know what I mean? It's funny. I think you're on point because I think some of these people confuse entertainment for uh, versus propaganda and they can't separate the two. So, for example, Scream, Casablanca and Evil Dead are pieces of entertainment that you can enjoy. Now, are there some things in it that some people will clutch their pearls at? Sure, absolutely. Scream and Evil Dead, especially. But it's a piece of entertainment. But then you have something else that's trying to promote a dangerous idea that is very much real in our lives, right? I mean, this is an extreme example, but the triumph of the will. What triumph of the will was a piece of Nazi propaganda, mm-hmm. right? That is an example of a movie indirectly inciting violence, I believe. Now, I'm not a film historian, obviously, so maybe I'm wrong, but that's what it feels like. And I get exactly what you're saying, that you have certain films that are kind of intending to show people like this is this is how bad it is and you gotta do something about it yeah i feel like what the fuck are you gonna do i feel like that's why like someone like jk rowling is so problematic is because she's contributing to the incitement of violence against trans people violence against trans people is on is on the rise because of people like her that's the thing that you gotta like 
take a look at as a as a government that's supposed to pro- that's supposed to protect its people, not yeah, the evil not dead. About the fact that it's that it's witches and the satanic, the Satan scare, whatever, whatever it is. Satanic that panic. Yeah, the sat- it's that's not it. That's that's the least of your concerns when it comes to Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, I I read that and that was a term that Edgar Wright threw, you know, video nasties. And I was like, what's what the fuck's a video nasty? I don't remember really <laughs> yeah. talking about it. That's what it is. It's a it's a colloquial term used in the United Kingdom. And Evil Dead was technically a section two film that they could have been prosecuted. And also it was known as a video or they were trying to label it as a video nasty, which even Edgar Wright's like, that's not the case, man. Like that's not, this movie isn't a video nasty. Like it's not, stop it. But yeah, so that's, that's, I thought that was really interesting. We have talked about censorship and we've talked about violence before. And I felt it was kind of a neat way of bringing it back to Casablanca and uh, scream. Yeah. Like they're all works of, these are like exceptional pieces of, of, film so I, I it's funny how like you would typically think of casablanca being like that is cinema right but i, I think screaming mm-hmm. and, and uh, evil dead are up there too you know as worthy of the title of cinema you know absolutely yeah i totally agree i think they have stood the test of time uh and in their own different way they have touched put their flag in the history of cinema for very, very different reasons. Yeah. Go check out our episodes on scream and Casablanca. They are both fan fucking tastic. We've had a streak of good episodes. uh, Like I've, we've had a streak of good episodes, but we say that all the time, but I feel like, I feel like we do. We do have a great streak. I think there's something about those episodes. Like I think we, I think we hit home runs all the time. (laughs) I think we're great. But I feel like Scream and Casablanca were like grand slams. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, shit, we hit it even harder than we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> Toot my own horn. Yes. Uh, but but yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, thank you so much for listening to to uh, to this episode. I had a lot of fun talking about the Evil Dead. I did too. But oh. we, there's one more thing that we got to do. Let's move on to our quotes. This is the part of the episode where, in lieu of a five-star system, we summarize how we feel about a, the movie with a quote from the movie. It can be our favorite quote, it can be a quote that made us laugh, or it can be a quote that summarizes the conversation we just had. George usually goes first, and George usually breaks the rules. And I broke the rules today, <laughs> goddammit. Uh, so this is... From my favorite scene. I think this was the scene that gave me the heebie-jeebies. That kind of like freaked me out a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? Uh, it was uh, when Cheryl is kind of like in the basement looking at them from that POV angle. And Shelly's like, why does she keep making those horrible noises? <laughs> I don't know. Look at her eyes. Look at her eyes. For God's sakes, what happened to her eyes? Just Shelly slowly losing it is both kind of funny <laughs> But it also freaked me out. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was kind of unnerving mm-hmm. to see it from that perspective as well. Kind of uncut. Because mm-hmm. it's just the camera like panning back and forth. Like the, the evil dead just looking. Just trying to see what it can and can't do. Yeah. And, but the other one is kind of how I feel about it. Because the evil dead's a franchise and it has a big following. And I, I feel like this is kind of what it is. Um, it's from the voice from the recorder. And it's from the guy who 
is chronicling what happened. Uh-huh. And he's like, I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Nocturum de Montum, roughly translated Book of the Dead. And it's kind of how I feel like when I when I see this movie, it's almost like I'm, I found this in the the ruins of a blockbuster <laughs> volume of the ancient 80s. Uh, and it is entitled The Evil Dead. That's great. I, I that's that really funny. Cool, <laughs> and it, it feels it does feel like I'm revisiting a piece of history. Right? Yeah. Of cinema history with this movie. Absolutely. And, it's like it's like I'm I'm part of the club now. It's kind of like with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. like watching. It's like, oh, I finally get it. I'm part of the club. Like I think without this movie, right? I don't think Sam Raimi would have gotten to do Spider Man, right? And without Spider Man yeah. being such a monumental like film series, probably wouldn't have pulled Marvel out from obscurity. Probably wouldn't have the superhero franchise. You know. <sighs> Woo, man, you are talking about a huge butterfly effect. Boom, butterfly effect. <laughs> that's my favorite quote from Until Dawn. That's so, <laughs> so funny. Oh, that's what they say? Yeah, it's, it's towards the beginning because like the whole thing is like one choice leads to another thing happening, right? So early on in the mm-hmm. game, the guy's like, boom, butterfly effect. It's, like, it's so <laughs> cheesy, but like, ah, uh, it's good stuff. It's cool. I like it. Speaking of cheesy, my quote is one of the cheesiest lines in the movie in like your stereotypical college kids having fun, right? And that's how I feel about the Evil Dead. It's it's really fun. You know, it's mm-hmm. a very fun franchise to go to. Like I don't like possession movies, but I love the Evil Dead. I don't like the gore porn stuff, but I love the Evil Dead, you know? It's yeah, it's same. just it's something about the way this franchise goes. It's just so much fun. Uh, so my quote comes from when, you know, the kids are having fun. Uh, and Scott, I forget what happened. I think they pull out a board game or something. Or they find something. They get the booze ready or something. It's about to go down. And Scott says, party down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so fucking cheesy. It's great. Uh, yeah. it's, and I think it's that kind of stuff that give that lends it some of that uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's cheesy, but it's cool at the same time. I don't know. It's well it's done. A lot to the Evil Dead that's it's it's something about the Evil Dead that's just unique. It it's funny because it's wholly unoriginal and yet original at the exact same time. Yeah, it's a, it's all in the execution. Execution, yeah. So good. All right. right, So that about does it for our Evil Dead episode. Uh, If you like the episode, make sure you tell your friends, you know, maybe share our little videos that we have on social media. You can follow us at retrograde underscore pod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We are on YouTube as retrograde podcast. Those are three words. And we do have a Discord. Just DM us and we will let you in on the Discord so we don't get any evil, deadite bot impersonators that are trying to sell us crypto. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, we have a Patreon. And, you know, if you want to support us that way, you can. You know, $2 gets you one bonus episode a month. $5 gets you all the bonus episodes 
for that month, and $15 gives you the imaginary title of executive producer and the rest of the, the all the bonus episodes. And if you join our Discord, you get that in the title. Right now, we have one executive producer. We could have two. It could be you. But, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's, you don't get anything else. Like, there's, if you have expendable income that you want to give to Retrograde Podcast, feel free to do so. If you don't, Absolutely. if you don't, we still love you. You know, we're still going to make this series right here free until we die or we get possessed. I don't know. Whichever comes first. Yeah, we, we still love you. We just love you a little. Bit. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. We we appreciate any and all support. And again, you if you don't want to, that's totally cool. These episodes are always going to be free, so don't even worry about it. Okay. And with that, we will see you in two weeks, May. Well, did we talk about we're gonna, what we're going to do in May? I think we have, right? In the John Wick one. Okay. In the John Wick episode, right. which is on our Patreon. Yeah, so t- for a sneak peek for $2, you can go <laughs> listen to the John Wick episode on Patreon, and we'll find out. Or you can just wait two weeks, whichever's, whichever's cool for you. <laughs> okay. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>